Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. We're talking about video transfer with Chris Vandeventer, I'm Steve Bach, along with Marlo Anderson on the Tech Ranch. And uh, video transfer, there's a lot of different mediums out there. And, uh, you know, switching from one, this question actually came up because we were looking at some um, video and audio components. There's MP3s, MP4s. Uh, what's the best platform out there, kind of what is standard industry-wise. Uh, Chris Vandevetter with us uh, to talk a little bit about some of that today. Uh, so, Chris, if, if you're going to make an audio file, MP3 is still the standard, isn't it? Yes. Um, AAC M, um, is Advanced Audio Codec. That was something that Apple came out with um, years ago when they came out with the iPod. It's got a little bit more fidelity to it. Because people used to think of MP3 players. So, right. okay, that kind of stuck. Yeah, MP3 but is pretty much one the... of those terms, it's like, uh, you know, Rolaids. There's a lot of antacids out there where right. people go, hey, just give me mm -hmm. Tums. You know, yeah. there, there's a, uh, a moniker that just kind of sticks. Right, it becomes sort of, generic yeah, after a while. Generic yeah, and what's the broad application of mm -hmm. that? MP3's kind of got MP3's pretty much it. Um, most of your online broadcasts, I, um, I know for our National Day Radio that we run here in the office, uh, we can either do MP3s or AAC, Advanced Audio Codec, which is just a little bit um, more fidelity. Um, but there's really no major difference other than how the information is compressed. Well, and where it makes a difference is in transfer. So if you're transferring audio from one form to another. Correct. Or across one spectrum to another, and we'll get into the video side of stuff too, but uh, that's where it makes a difference. That's mm -hmm. where it matters is, did you save it as this? Or you know, is it transferable? Or where are you going to replay it from? Right, because if you run into a situation where you have a file that was, um, what they call the M4, .m4a, which is advanced audio codec. If you then want to convert that to an MP3, you're already compressing a compressed file. So you're going to lose more data the more you compress it. Well, maybe so, we back up a little bit and talk about uh, what that audio file is. So uh, when I listen to, whether it's uh, an interview or music, I'm thinking voice. Mm -hmm. Well, voice is data. Walk us through that process. Yeah, so basically you take um, the raw file, basically the raw data, as you listen to it on like a CD. So CD quality, um, you're looking at a high level of data. Um, CD is a digital format. You're looking at maybe 20 to 30 megabytes per song. Um, a CD will hold about 700 megabytes of data. So your average CD will have 15 songs on it. Mm -hmm. When you can compress that down, you can get that down to about three megabytes per song. Wow. So you're looking at about maybe a megabyte per minute um, compressed. 
most oftentimes you're not going to notice the audio quality difference, um, particularly if you're not listening to it on a high-end audio equipment. Um, but a lot of folks, they prefer um, what they call the lossless uh, compressions, which are now out there where you make it the file smaller, but you don't throw away any data. Uh, much like when your digital cameras, they'll take a picture and they'll look and say, okay, well, these pixels right around this area are all about the same color, so I'm only going to count one of them. Oh, so it throws okay. away that data. So basically it says, okay, these are pretty close. Close enough. Like, and so we'll, we'll toss out this packet of information, and we'll toss out this, we'll toss out this, and leave the rest in. And that's how compression works, basically. You're kind of snipping out like items in favor of one to stand alone as the representation of what those are, whether it's um, musical notes, voice, or pixels in a photo. Okay, so now when you're going to talk about MP4 or some of the other uh, different data um, save, you know, saved as, uh, you're just basically talking about uh, the quality of, of that. Correct. Yeah, each one of them, video. each one of them has a different way of throwing out data. Um, and so it's just the compression is, okay, well, how are we going to do this? And that's how you get the differences in the file. But ultimately, to the average ear, you're not going to notice it. Okay, because I used to burn a lot of CDs back in the day and, you know, about 15 songs, unless there was a, an album cut of something on there. Mm -hmm. Um, really didn't notice the difference because of my thought process was, well, I'm in the car, so there's noise, mm -hmm. and the player is only of a certain quality. So when you're broadcasting that data back, uh, what's the player quality side of that? Because we're taking computers out of audio. We're taking computers out of the, mm -hmm. the equation, you know, whether it's a CD player back then or... Uh, <laughs> Okay, I'm going to date myself cassette deck or mm -hmm. whatever it was. You're, you're just listening to that data. Um, the player had a, a big piece of what that quality sounded like as well. Right, yeah. With your cassette decks, you know, was the tape on the um, the tape damaged in some way? Was there dust in the system? Uh, dust on a laser when you're playing a CD? Um, but it really comes down to the speakers. Um, I'm not that familiar with the audiophile side of it, but... There's a difference between listening to a song through the standard earbuds that come with your phone versus a high-end Sony headset with right. noise cancellation. It's all about how that information is transmitted uh, to your eardrums and then to your brain. Oh, a um, great example is uh, you know, when I fly and I like to watch movies when I fly, I absolutely positively cannot use the cheap, standard hand them out headsets you know the, the little mm -hmm. earbuds that the airlines provide I, I i cannot pick up there's not enough clarity in there and i got a little bit of a hearing deficit being in broadcasting for so many decades and i can't hear i i, I just can't so i have to bring my own headphones uh whether they're noise canceling or even just good you mentioned sony and it's my favorite brand when it comes to, to listening to things mm -hmm. but i have to bring my own headphones right. i have to have my own because the quality's not there on the ones they just pass out to everybody mm -hmm. and then i like what you're on a plane too you you kind of want that seal around your eardrum yeah. around your ear uh, i always have the in-ear headphones when i'm flying um just because it blocks out some of that noise from the from the aircraft 
So now you've got uh, what that audio is produced as mm -hmm. to what's it's reproduced as, and then to the speaker on the chain of the. Where, what level of degradation is there through that entire process? So, because um, I'm thinking now, if you're going to listen on good speakers, well, you also have to have a good microphone on the front mm -hmm. end of that. So, uh, there's so many different components that come into good quality audio, or we'll get into the video later, but uh, good quality audio. So, it's the front piece, which is a microphone, uh, and we're not even going to talk about the processing side of things, mm -hmm. but then how it's saved and then how it's played back, what it's played back on, and then the the speaker side of things. Right, and there shouldn't be that much degradation in the in the playback of it. Um, as long as whatever you're using to play it can read the file, uh, it should be able to take all those ones and zeros and play them back properly. And so when you're talking about data, and you mentioned the ones and zeros, and I wanted to get into that because that's kind of an intriguing part too. When you're looking at data, what does that data come up as? It's just numeric algorithms. Uh, what's the data as stored at that I'm recording it onto something and then something's reading it? And what does that look like? That's a good question. I've never really thought about it at that depth, but really it's a numeric algorithm. It's like, like you said. Because I'm going back uh, to, it, uh, this is on the video side, but I go back to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory mm -hmm. and the little cowboy kid when he gets oh. beamed over and, mm -hmm. and, and broadcast. And I'm like, okay, the little tiny bits and pieces and things that are transmitted through the air. That's what I think of because mm -hmm. that's data. Right. Me. And I think that that's, um, that's accurate. I mean, yeah, you go back to a movie back in the 70s and it was accurate then, it's accurate today. Because, mm -hmm. you know, Einstein once said, we'll get into some relativity, that light moves as a wave and a particle. Yes. So, um, and uh, radio waves are just light you can't see. Yes. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a pretty apt way of putting it. So, when you're looking at um, types of equipment out there, uh, you know, for the average consumer, there's a big spectrum of, of different equipment. Um, kind of depends on what you're looking at doing. Is it just a rebroadcast? Is it uh, playing, you mentioned radio over mm -hmm. the air? Is it through your computer? Mm -hmm. um, it depends on what you're, you're looking at producing right. or reproducing. And the technology's gotten so um, advanced that your speaker components can get so much smaller. Um, my Apple AirPods are sufficient for what I want to do um, on an average basis. But if I wanted to sit and maybe really listen to an album, um, I would probably get a pair of Beats headphones and a higher end over the ear headphone as opposed to one that goes in the ear. Um, it's just really personal preference. So a lot of personal preference goes into that and lifestyle goes into that as well because uh, with the invention of Bluetooth, wireless headsets. Mm -hmm. um, how much does that play into quality of what you're listening to? I guess it would come down to... Um, As opposed to wired. Right. It, it really comes down to is like how, how good is your Bluetooth connection to your um, the device you're listening with. You know, Bluetooth is in dozens of feet can be measured as far as how far it transmits. I know that... Um, well, I'll say I'll have my phone and we'll, my phone will be in my house and I'll get in my car to go run somewhere, but I don't bring my phone with me. 
my phone will, my car will automatically play the last audiobook that I've had streaming via Bluetooth because it can sense my phone in the house. And it'll play until I'm about three houses away. Um, so you really, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of how close you are to the source. Um, and then it kind but of... again, also a transmitter and receiver component to mm -hmm. that as well when it comes to Bluetooth. Right. Because yep. I know <laughs> I, I pull in my driveway and, oh, hey, or you get too close to your car and your your phone is picked up by your vehicle and you're still talking to the phone to somebody. And then it's now it's on the Wait car, a minute. Yeah. You're, I hear you coming from my car. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's a little frustrating, but uh, technology when it comes to audio, uh, we'll talk about video as well. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. The Tech Ranch, Sleep Ranch. Let's get back to discovering the latest in technology with the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. We're talking with Chris Vandeventer, uh, video transfer and uh, audio transfer. Uh, he's a media expert. We're talking about different media sources. Uh, we are talking about audio. We're talking about video. Um, what's the difference between the two from a data point? Because... Um, there's a lot more with the the video side of things. Audio, you've got, you know, if you want to simplify it, it's it, one stream of audio, and then if there's video, there's another stream of video. Mm -hmm. Is it that simple, or from a data perspective, that you've got a right and a left? Uh, it's kind of I think of it right and left brain ish. Yeah, I would say um, the biggest difference when you when you go from audio to video um, is about the end size of the file, because you're talking about a digital file. And, and pictures are much larger. Yep. So I would, yeah, photos are a lot bigger. Um, I know if I take a raw image with my Sony camera, it's about 25 megabytes. Whereas if I just took a regular JPEG, which would be automatically compressed, it would be about that three or four, uh, depending on how many pixels. But that gets into way, way too far into the weeds. That's why I try to send pictures on yeah. the phone, and, yeah. and you can only send so many, or you have to resize right. the file because mm -hmm. it, it just won't send that much. Because right. a lot of people, especially mm -hmm. with limited data plans, doesn't want to send that. Yeah, and, just, and when you're looking at like high definition video, like um, for which we could play on like all of our big screen TVs, you're looking about a gigabyte per minute of video, as opposed to a, a megabyte per minute of audio. So that really comes into play too, is if you're streaming um, high definition, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of data um, that's coming through. And ultimately it's the standard MPEG compression is what they use these days is um, if you wanted just a digital file. Um, and that can, I think on the, on average, when I convert a videotape, let's say, let me back it up. We get VHS tapes here in the office and we convert those to digital. Not everybody has a VHS player anymore. Uh, we've got a, a set of VHS VCRs. We hook them up to a digital converter. I still remember back when it was, okay, VHS or beta. That's right. the big decision. And surprisingly, we can actually do beta here in house too. <laughs> um, so you hook that up 
and every, I think about an hour and a half is a, the max I can put onto a DVD. Most everybody says, okay, I want this video of my son's graduation and I want it put on a DVD so I can play it on my DVD player. And so about an hour and 30 minutes, we'll cover about four gigabytes, which is about the size of a, a burnable DVD that you would create. And that really determines how many DVDs you need. If, if somebody brings me an eight hour tape, um, I could wind up putting that on four different DVDs because of the amount of movie that's there. So my question pops into my head right away. Um, so if somebody comes in with an old VHS tape and wants it onto a DVD mm -hmm. or eight millimeter film and wants it onto a DVD, how outdated is that DVD at, at this point? Yeah, absolutely. Um, some people um, will say, yeah, no, it's, we don't even want the DVD because we don't even have a DVD player. But if somebody asks for that, because DVD players are going away. They I, are. We've and seen that just like VHS went away, and uh, we won't even get into laser discs <laughs> if yeah. you can find one of those. Well, yeah, you've come over to my house, we can watch Jaws. Oh, perfect. <laughs> um, Jaws 3D, too, I bet. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but if somebody asks that, what's the process of walking them through going, did you really think about how you want this preserved. Mm -hmm. And we've seen this in Hollywood lately now because they're going through a major project of trying to salvage a lot of old film mm -hmm. because the film's breaking down. Right. And they didn't realize it at the time, but they, just the medium that it was on breaks down. So you've got the medium failing, you've got, because you didn't know what you didn't know back then. Um, so when somebody comes in and asks for a, a, a DVD, which Okay, you can scratch that. It, it's, mm -hmm. Is it just digital the best way to go right now? Because it's the most current? Or is it kind of the be-all, end-all? I would say that, that the best option is to go digital um, for two reasons. Let's say I bring in, um, well, I'll give you an example. I had a, somebody came in and said that we want a a wedding video we're using these photos and so you scan the photos in you plug them into your video editor you add the music you create a wedding video to um, play during the father-daughter dance or something like that if I put that on a DVD you're limited to where you can play it you have to have a DVD player hooked up to whatever if I could put it on a USB thumb drive you can plug that into pretty much any computer and play so it gives you more flexibility of where it's going. So the other side of that too is if you put it on a DVD and now you've got a copy, which mm -hmm. I would hope somebody would be smart enough to make two copies mm -hmm. for backup because you can scratch that mm -hmm. damage that. Um, it's more vulnerable to lose that piece of data, that memory at that point than going digital. Correct. And once it's on that DVD, you can't make any changes to it. I mean, if, if I gave you the original data file, then if you wanted to go in and edit it out or make changes to it, you could do that yourself if you were so inclined. Um, if you have the DVD, you gotta have to find a way to rip the DVD to make another digital file to make the edits. Um, and if that 
one copy has a scratch on it, mm -hmm. you're replicating the scratch as well. Correct. And I think a lot of it has to do with the um, the clientele we have that comes in bringing these things. They're not the Gen Z or millennials coming in. It's people that are clearing out their parents' attic, and they're just used to the DVD. Right. And it's like, well, here we'll just we want this on a DVD. Um, Put it's kind of like on. 20 years ago, you could yeah. walk into a classroom and go, what's this? And mm. about 50% of the kids would go, that's a cassette. Mm -hmm. uh, 20 years before that, it was, well, that's an 8-track. Mm -hmm. um, uh, now DVDs are in that space where mm -hmm. it's like, what's that? Well, I don't know. Half the kids might mm -hmm. know it and half don't because it's we've become such a digital age. Right. And we offer here, too, um, with the Zuvio, we have a cloud service. We built a cloud um, video storage system that instead of putting it on a DVD, we will upload it to a dedicated um, account for you. So basically, we like to call it your own personal Netflix. Um, if you got all your family videos, you upload them to this area, you can watch them, you can share those with your family, um, no matter where they are. Um, but then when I offer that to one uh, person um, recently, they're like, well, What's a cloud? <laughs> well, yeah, that, they're, they're, that, some of that too. but this person actually, actually understood the, the concepts like, but they live out west of Medora. They don't have much in the way of internet. Mm. So how is that going to benefit them? So really you got that rural bar, the broadband divide that's coming up where people don't really have access to the high speed everywhere they would want to be. Um, so then a physical medium becomes the preferred choice because you don't have the ability to stream or um, whether it's on a USB thumb drive or on a DVD. Which physical. is still digital, but mm, right. now it's, I, I need that physical element, that something in my hand. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think that that-, that Something tangible. That there's a mindset that says, if, if I don't have it physically in my hand, it doesn't exist. It's, it's in the ether, it, it might disappear. Oh, there's still a few things where I'm not quite sure I've totally jumped the shark in that yeah. realm myself. Mm -hmm. and, and I've gotten over the precipice, but to fully take that last leap of faith, sometimes losing the tangible side is hard. Mm -hmm. Tech Ranch. Super Talk 127. Of the Tech Ranch as we explore the cutting edge of tech with Marlo and Steve. For more exclusive content, visit thetechranch.com. We're talking with Chris Vandeventer, uh, video transfer expert, media expert, actually. So whether it's uh, audio or it's video, um, a lot of different things to know out there from a, a media space. So I guess media is kind of the, the correct term because it's mm -hmm. not audio or video, it's media, which that covers a lot of bases. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about, uh, you know, somebody cleaning out their parents' attic or uh, somebody wanted to pass information, data, because whether it's audio or it's uh, video when we're looking at the digital side of things it's data and, and that's what pictures recorded voice music all of it that's what it is it's data um, so I want to get into the video side of things and going back 
typically you guys do a lot of video transfer and, and preservation of past memories for mm -hmm. people. And when you're looking at the video side, it, it, does it start basically at the old eight millimeter films? Because that's what I think of as, you know, mom and dad taking the, the camera out and, mm -hmm. and filming the family vacation or the fishing trip or the camping trip and or graduation or baby's first steps. Uh, a lot of that back in the day was on eight millimeter. Right. And, um, you know, I've really only gotten into it since I started working here. Um, we have um, some machines that'll convert the eight millimeter. And as I look back, my dad was a big photographer and he, we had one when I was growing up and I've got eight millimeter film of me and my grandfather had stuff. And it's in the past, you had to hook it up to the projector and then you had to, um, well, it wasn't easy back then. It was not. And my dad started converting a lot of um, these old eight millimeters himself, but he had to basically project them from the projector to some sort of mirror system and then capture them on a video camera. That was the old way of doing it. You took a video, you, you took a movie of the movie. Um, like there's a Seinfeld episode where they so sneak he a cam pirating his own film. Right. You take a camcorder <laughs> into the theater and you know, you're recording the movie. Um, but now th that there's too many steps there and it's not, there's no fidelity to the original right. media. And, and mm -hmm. You're losing integrity. Correct. So what we do here is we have, um, what looks like a mini, mini projector and you run the eight millimeter film through it and it takes a photo of every single frame. And then it combines all those photos into a, a film. Cause what is a movie, but a series of still pictures. And then how, how fast you play them back is where you get the, the, um, perception of movement. Uh, was 25 frames per second is I think usually or 30 frames per second is usually the standard. So if I have one of the smaller eight millimeter reels, that's about 50 feet of film, but it's only about three minutes of video. And a lot of folks, when, I, when they bring those in, they'll bring in like 10 or 20 of them. And I'm like, okay, each one of these is only about three minutes. Do you want them separate or do you want them on one DVD? Because if I was making them individually. Like I do that? But, yeah. I, I think how far technology has come from back then mm -hmm. to today. And, um, you know, the com I, I, I actually, I'm not even sure if compression is the right word, but the truncation of what you're able to capture mm -hmm. has changed so much. And I think with when I do the eight millimeter film, whether it's the Super 8 or the eight millimeter, because we can do both. What's the difference? Super 8 was a little wider um, picture. Um, there was, there's still an eight millimeter, um, you know, I'm not sure. Because it had to do with the size of the frame. It was still eight millimeter tape or film, but it had a little bit wider. I think it had to do with what kind of machine it was playing on. Um, the teeth for the advancing were further apart, and they were a little bit bigger. I would say you almost. Well, I know like, back in the day there was this panoramic, because I, I, I was wondering if that might be it. If because you could see, like on old films, you see mm -hmm. formatted to fit this screen. Or, right. Um, was that kind of? No, I think a, a simpler it's, way of looking at it was it's probably VHS versus Beta. I mean, it was just a different format. Um, 
because I really haven't seen much difference other than I have to flip a dial whenever I'm making a copy because it has the because uh, <laughs> the teeth are separated are further apart on one of them versus the other. Hey, I work under the Kiss principle, so yeah. it's, it's, it's flip a dial. Okay, I can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you're looking at, at transferring video from an eight millimeter, mm -hmm. uh, whether eight or super eight, um, what's the process going through? Because you ask somebody if do you want a DVD or do you want digital? Digital, of course, is the new standard mm -hmm. um, and it's taking a photo of every one of those frames but that's all done digitally correct and um, I, I like that because your resolution is only limited to the size of the photo sensor on these machines and I think we get a pretty good size it, it does high definition 180 1080 pixels uh, 1080p is what it um, as opposed to taking a recording of the recording, Correct. which now you're losing integrity. Because mm -hmm. here, here I'm getting every single frame, whether that frame is damaged or not. Um, whereas I'm recording the movement, if I have it projecting on a screen, and then I have, I'm not getting every single bit of information there. And then I can go in and I can, in my video editor, trim out individual segments, individual, individual stills from those um, frames and um, get down to a very fine grained edit. Because um, a lot of these films that are coming in, they're, they have mold, they're brittle, um, uh, they stick together. Uh, so we oil all the film um, as it goes through our machine. We have a video quality, a film quality oil that we apply and that lubricates the film so it doesn't stick or peel and then it kind of slides through our machine and then spools back on itself and well a lot of thought wasn't given into how do i store mm -hmm. these reels of film back in the day um i keep using that term back in the day for some reason but it's <laughs> it, it seems like decades and decades and generations ago when you're talking eight millimeter film but the storage was very important mm -hmm. uh, and did you have it sealed did you keep it in an airtight container uh or did you like most people just throw it up in an attic that gets really hot really cold and right is subject even though there's a roof mm -hmm. it's subject to the elements when you're talking in terms of film mm -hmm. yeah and so i want to tell folks is whether it's a vhs or it's eight millimeter the quality of the video I'm going to give you is only as good as what you give me. Um, I can go in and I can fix color. I can fix exposure to a certain degree and I can fix audio. Um, but I'm limited to what it, what's actually on the medium that they've given me. Um, eight millimeter actually comes into another, um, another, there's another step involved that is audio related because there's no sound associated with these um, films. And so a lot of times folks were like, so well, that's the audio track that goes, there is no audio track. Okay. Um, and I'm taking pictures of it. So even if there was an audio track, I can't capture it. Did we not get into the audio side of things until the, the video camcorder? Pretty, age? pretty much. Um, I think that, you know, you had maybe commercial production on film with audio, uh, when you're talking about movie production, but for the home movie enthusiast, there was no sound until I would say, until the camcorder started coming out, we're doing the beta and VHS. Um, not sure if that's accurate, but sounds about right. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there there was a big push, and I remember um, 
Turner Classic Films was kind of a pioneer in this, of taking black and white films and colorizing them. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to talk about uh, what you can do digitally as far as the editing side uh, in a little bit. But there was a big push on the, the colorization of... And it seems like when it first started out, it, it didn't matter the quality. Mm -hmm. It was like, hey, we have this film that's now color when it used to be black and white. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not sure I've seen that color before. Right. <laughs> that area has made a huge stride because now I, I look at a film that's recently colored, and I kind of a, a, a video file, and I'll look at an old film that I enjoyed in, in its black and white form, and I'll see it colorized now if it was something modern or current that was updated. Can't tell the difference. Mm -hmm. you, you really can't. Yeah, I think that... The technology has really come a long way from and quickly from the days of um, when films first started. Um, they hand colored each frame, yeah, to 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 add color to it, uh, like the old "From the Earth to the Moon" video uh, film that came out in the eighteen hundreds. Every single frame of that was hand colored. Can you imagine that job? Yeah, and then. Then what TCM did, Turner Classic Movies, they said, well, just run it through something and we'll just add whatever we think it was. That guy must be wearing a white it, shirt. It was more of a, a, a splash methodology. Yeah. It's like they just splashed color. It's like, okay, now we have a color film. Mm -hmm. And where we are now, it's it's incredibly flesh tone, flesh tone. Mm -hmm. This opaque splash. Right. So... After 8mm, camcorder was the next mm -hmm. generation. So when you're recording uh, or preserving the video pieces for somebody going from 8mm to now we've moved into the kit. Because there really wasn't anything in between. Now we're into the camcorder mm -hmm. age, which now you're adding the audio as well. Correct. And um, one thing I tell folks, they ask me, how long is it going to take? And I said, well, how long is the tape? Because I have to record encode everything in real time. I, I run it through a VCR. I play the film that they've given me. It's not like you can go fast forward on the VCR button, right? And then I, then it then it digitizes it through our um, system, and then creates a digital files. And um, so if it's an eight-hour tape, it takes me eight hours to digitize it. And then somebody will say, "Well, I don't know what's on the middle of this. I know that there's." so-and-so's first steps and then there's a birthday party, but I don't want any of that stuff in the middle. And it's like, well, I can't edit the stuff in the middle out until I do the whole thing. Cause I can't just fast forward and say, okay, I want to capture this part and this part. I got to do the entire tape. And then I can throw out what you don't want me to keep. Um, but a lot of times we just, we don't do that because. But it's not like pushing play on the VCR and then pause and then Fast forward to the end of the VCR. Right. You, you just can't do that. I mean, I could, but it just take, it's just it's not the same. Though. Yeah, because it's, it's better just to capture everything and then throw out what you don't need. So VHS to beta was kind of the, the big discussion mm -hmm. back in the day. And VHS won. Mm -hmm. and, and why did VHS win over beta? You know, I don't really know. Um, I think it was a... Some of it was marketing, some of it was the size of the machine. There was a, a bulk factor involved when it came to beta, but because mm -hmm. uh, um, I, I remember 
being a little kid, and that was the argument out there, VHS or beta. Mm-hmm. And it was a big fight for a while. And I think ultimately what won out was simplicity. Um, VHS players were simpler. Um, beta made the argument that, but the quality on this tape is so much better. It's a better um, technology. It's a better way to record your stuff. VHS was just keep it simple. And people didn't care about the nitty gritty of how the video was being recorded. They just cared that it was recorded. And I think that's a lot of what uh, drove um, beta away from the commercial market, uh, the consumer market. And it stayed kind of in the commercial market for a while with uh, news stations and whatnot. Um, but yeah, the VHS just went out because it was just easier for the consumer to to get their head wrapped around. That cassette tape, just mm-hmm. the, the the simplicity and the ease by which people could use that mm-hmm. or, or share that. Um, it, w- it was pretty simple compared to what the beta process looked mm-hmm. like. So when it comes to video transfer, uh, do you see much beta as far as you know, I've had to preserve some stuff? I've had a few beta tapes come through. Uh, we have a, a small um, consumer-sized beta player that we can um, do that with. But I've even seen the really, really big tapes, these three-quarter-inch tapes um, that were commercially produced. Um, I think one woman brought in, it was a tape of her mom on the Wheel of Fortune um, from the 70s. And it was the daytime version. Pat Sajak wasn't even there. And it's the tape, was I swear, swear it's almost an inch thick. And I have a player that'll play them. Um, so the only thing that's complex about that is getting the video out of the machine and into my digitizer. And that's we, fairly straightforward. What a great family memory. Mm-hmm. Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. Ranch. Let's rejoin Marlo and Steve as they guide us through the fascinating world of technology. We're talking with Chris Vandeventer, uh, video transfer expert, media expert, about uh, preservation of memories and and what that looks like and sounds like today. We're talking about the video side of stuff and uh, VHS versus beta. You know, VHS had a lot of convenience to it, but the quality really wasn't there. But um, when it won out over the beta, because that was the argument, VHS or beta, and when it won out, it was the KISS principle. A lot of people function off the KISS principle. I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like my technology simple and easy to use. Uh, ease of use was there. The quality of the video really wasn't a concern because of the broadcast side or the rebroadcast mm-hmm. side at the time. But when you're looking at taking that medium, that VHS medium, and improving it to a DVD or a, a digital, what are some of the nuances that go into that as far as uh, the preservation of that VHS? Again, because there's film in that cassette, it's what quality is that film in? That- right, yeah, the physical quality of the film. Uh- 
Um, as a, and then you see, so you have the two things. You have the physical quality of the the tape, and then you actually have how the data was encoded on that tape. Um, it wasn't high definition. I think um, whenever you talk about high definition, I think the terms are 480 pixels is standard definition, give or take. Well, a and lot of people today think you could make high definition out of something that wasn't high definition. You can up you scale can up it. scale it through right. digi but you are, digitization, but. Yeah, it's, it's the kind of the, when we're, it's kind of the opposite of compression. When, um, but you can only go so far before right. it distorts. Right. So you have, when you're compressing something, you're looking for like things and throwing out what you don't need. When you're upscaling it, you're finding similar, similar things. things and adding them, um, so you can get to the full size. And I can actually get it up to 180 high definition, but yeah, it's not super great quality. It's not going to be as if I was recording this directly as digital. Excuse me. So, yeah, there is that issue. Um, I can get close, but not quite. It, it, where it comes into an issue is with high-definition TVs now that people, mm -hmm. oh, wait a minute. I, in fact, I was listening to a conversation on the radio on a talk show, and they were talking about going back and watching old NFL games mm -hmm. or old college football games. Uh, and they were thinking that, oh, this ESPN classic uh, and watching the old football games was going to be awesome. Then they got to watching them go, wow. The video was really not that good back then mm -hmm. on some of these classic games. And that's kind of a where technology has gone is the rebroadcast side or the screen worthiness of being able to watch that replicate. That's why digital is still better than, than the DVD. But uh, finishing up on, on the VHS, it's, again, that quality of tape. Mm -hmm. uh, you can do a lot in the editing side, but that quality of tape is still what you need to replicate what your finished product's going to be. Right, and more often than not now, you have, as it evolved into the smaller and smaller camcorders, um, you start having digital tape. So things were recorded digitally on the tape. Um, and so you have mini DV, really small cassettes to um, the modern eight millimeter, which is a the is it the Sony 8 or HD8 or Handycam size tape? Um, they tried to get to the compact, if you remember, compact VHS. Oh, yeah. Um, they took the VHS, put it into smaller so form factor. the cassette. Yeah. And that you could actually play in a VHS player with the right adapter. Yeah. I, um, I, I remember we, we had one of those. Mm -hmm. So you drop the cassette in the cassette and then put the cassette in right. the VHS. Because you're looking at the same size tape. Everything else now has a different size tape. So it's not going to be, you can't play them on the same devices. So you have multiple devices. When we do conversion, I have five different camcorders out here that I use, um, depending on what size tape it is. So moving forward from the VHS, and, and we'll kind of skim over. Do you have many laser discs? Uh, people that wanted to replicate laser discs. Nobody has actually. That was a little blip in the window. Yeah, nobody has brought any laser discs here. I have a laser disc player. Uh, it's living with my dad right now, and he's gone and he's made um, copies of some of our laser disc films. Um, but that was a case where it was the size of a record. Um, but you had to flip it over halfway through the movie. 
Um, I know he's... Um, Which is fine for a bathroom break or I need a right. snack. Yeah. Um, his la- our LaserDisc player, we actually lived in Japan at the time, early 90s. LaserDisc was still pretty big over there. And so we, we have a, a massive collection. I think we have all the James Bonds um, <laughs> at the time. And I, and, um, but now this will be... People might start knocking down my door. I actually have the original Star Wars before George Lucas messed with it on laser. Really? And I actually have a VHS of the laser, which I have now digitized here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to finish up on the laser disc side of things, though, uh, there was some creative marketing that went along with film releases mm-hmm. for laser discs. Um, they got into some interesting special features and special effects that wasn't privy to the rest of the marketplace. No, because the early laser discs, you had the ability to add extra tracts, like um, with DVDs, director's commentary. Um, that was the first foray into that. Um, yeah, but it would, again, I think it was just people got so focused on how big the discs were. It wasn't very simple to use. You had to flip them over in mid middle. It didn't hold that much information. Um, and DVDs were around at the same time. And it's like, well, we'll just do DVDs. Uh, just became whatever was simpler. Well, it, now we've got this retro movement going back to albums and people actually mm-hmm. listening to records again. So I, I'm waiting for that to get into the video side. And, hey, maybe there is a place for um, for laser discs. You know, you mentioned the DVDs, too. And, and DVDs kind of had a little bit of a, uh, uh emergence issue because we went from DVDs and then the next technology was going to be the mini discs. Mm-hmm. The, the the little tiny DVDs, they just never caught on. No, they didn't. Um, and I can't because they were they came in like a little cassette cartridge, and um, you saw a few of them made, but they never really did. Um, you, we talked earlier about you know audio and how the format keeps changing. It's like, well, I bought this on on vinyl. Well, now I got to get it on cassette, and now I got to get it on CD. Well, now I got to get it on mini D or yeah, yeah the, they had the, the mini discs. The mini discs. The yeah. Um, oh, and then I got to get you know, the, the format just completely changed, and now everyone's like, "Well, I want to buy it once, and then I want to be able to play it everywhere." Well, and, and that's the digital. That's age. where you get go with digital. Yeah. So, as far as other mediums and uh, that transferring to the digital side of things, uh, was there anything else out there that we may have missed? Uh, that was just kind of that one-off outlier that you've done video transfer or audio well, transfer? Well, we with. did one recently. Um, it was um, in the late 90s. There was a move to um, div- digital tape. And there was the mini DVs, which they came out with consumer camcorders. But then they had ones that were slightly bigger. Uh, digital video cassette. Um, oh, I remember those. And I actually have some out here in the um, office. And we were able to actually get them done. Pretty fascinating. Uh, we're talking with Chris Vandeventer, uh, media expert concerning video and audio transfer.
If you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. XXAM, Mandan Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. Here's the latest from ABC News. I'm Dave Packer. It was the last formality before the bipartisan debt deal became law, President Biden's signature, and that just happened today. From the Oval Office Friday, Biden praising Democrats and Republicans coming together to make a deal. Look, the only way American democracy can function is through compromise and consensus. And that's what I work to do as your president. ABC's Elizabeth Schulze. After insisting for months that he would not negotiate on the debt ceiling, the president brokered this deal at the 11th hour with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Both sides admit that they did not get everything they want. And with this deal so down to the wire, the U.S. is still at risk of a credit rating downgrade, according to Fitch, saying that the ongoing brinksmanship over the nation's finances are a threat to the U.S. credit. Officials in India warning the death toll could continue to rise this weekend following Friday's deadly train collision that impacted over a thousand passengers in one of the country's biggest train disasters in recent history. Witnesses say the force of the collision lifted some of the carriages into the air before smashing them onto the tracks. At least 280 people are now dead, more than 900 others injured. Hundreds of first responders and police at the scene frantically looking for any survivors, digging through the debris and pulling some of the injured from the damaged rail cars. ABC's Lama Hassan. Eight Republican presidential candidates will be grilling pork and riding hogs at the Iowa State Fairgrounds today. Former Vice President Mike Pence didn't say if he was running, but hinted at a big announcement coming soon. My wife Karen and I spent a lot of time reflecting and praying about how we might best serve the country during a very challenging time. The Biden administration's weak in America, home and abroad. U.S. Senator Joni Hurst leading a parade of about 250 motorcyclists into the fairgrounds. Duran Vandersloot could be extradited to the U.S. as soon as today. He's been serving a 28-year sentence in Peru for the murder of Stephanie Flores and also wanted in the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. This is ABC News. Super Talk 1270, Bismarck Area Weather. With your forecast, I'm Corey Hartman. For today, mostly sunny, 87, a bit breezy at times. Tonight, mid-60s with an isolated storm possible. For Sunday, slight chance of a shower or thunderstorm, otherwise mostly sunny. Back to the upper 80s. For Monday, scattered storms, otherwise sunshine and 88. Try Grandpa's Barbecue Sauce, made from an original family recipe. Get it now at grandpasbbqshop.com. Right now, it's 84. This is what matters. This is beyond X's and O's. This is the difference mutual respect makes. This is what character looks like. This is what defines us in North Dakota. This is sportsmanship. School sports, it's not the outcome that matters most, but the way the games are played. 
This message presented by the North Dakota High School Activities Association and the North Dakota Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Your home for high school sports. Super Talk 1270. Listen to the games anywhere with the free Super Talk 1270 app. Download today in the App Store or Google Play. Portions of the following program are pre recorded. Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. Steve. Hello, Marlo. Mr. Anderson. I bet you went wondering where I've been. Yeah, where were you? I was... Uh... The longest bathroom break I've ever seen. <laughs> Everything okay? <laughs> Everything's good. <laughs> well, you know the toys I have, right? <laughs> Careful now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> family show. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if you and Chris talked about what's going on around here, but but uh, have a new lawnmower Yes. that is now set up and working. So I have a Badger autonomous lawnmower, and it runs around the yard. And I want to get my Yarbo. I know you want to get a Yarbo so bad. You know what? After after this week, we're going to start working on that. We talk about it forever. So that's going to happen. Tired of taking the garbage out. I get that. I understand that. The the dog poop bucket. Well, that's it. Doesn't quite have that feature yet, but we'll figure that one out. I think so. Well, we were talking about the uh, potential for. In the spring of the year, when it comes to picking up yeah. little landmines in yeah. the yard, if it has that ability. Well, I would hope that maybe it would get to that. I'm sorry, I'm playing with the board here. <laughs> there we go. <clears throat> I don't know why it is, but you know, I need to have those LED lights light up when I'm talking. So mm. I'm why not sure that? why. I don't know. We're in my studio today, though. Yeah, I know. We're, yeah. we're in Marlo's studio having a little fun today because he's got some new toys in here. So we're playing with new toys. Yeah. So you seen Astro when you came in. I did. So I know you didn't really get a chance to interact with him yet. But I what do you think? dance. Oh, you did? Yes, I did see Astro dance. I suppose people are going to wonder though why you just need a uh, you know a robot that's going to dance, but because you can, yeah, because you can. Okay, but you know we're going to figure out some functionality to this robot. Uh, you know, Chris and I have been talking about how we can program it to greet people when they come in the door. So you know, like here we have a studio, as as you know, that's where, that we're in, and, and can, we can you have a mats or welcome people like in the one of my favorite welcomes of all time the song big time oh yeah hi there <laughs> that would be that hilarious real? right hi there peter gabriel yeah can yeah you get him to do that yeah maybe so cool. but that kind of is the Next goal I walk in i, I expect well if hi it, there. then i'm gonna have to have it recognize you so we'll have to put a profile uh, in there so when i go by uh astro now i get a i get a little whistle 
because it recognizes who I am. Yeah, well, not quite that not kind of whistle. Call. No, not a cat call. Uh, but, it, you know, it's kind of funny, right? I know you watched it a little bit. I mean, it basically is a robot with a tablet for a face, right? But this tablet does come to life, doesn't it? It's like, well, it's got a wiggle. <laughs> But it does come to life. I mean, it's really interesting. You know, the eyes are blinking and it smiles occasionally, and and uh, it's really, it's really quite interesting. I'm intrigued. I I, I do want to uh, play with Astro a little bit more, and, and it's. I want to see the AI iteration, right? In because AI is the future of robotics. It's it. I think in terms of when technologies get intertwined. So if you take the crossroad of robotics with artificial intelligence, oh, that's going to be game changing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's happening now, of course. And I mean, you think about the the cell phone, Happened and then all ago, all the movie. stuff. Uh, yeah. All the stuff that's been built on top of cell phones, right? I mean, you, you build a platform. Right. And I was just watching a video this morning about this. And this particular person thinks that that evolution of where we were with cell phones and then the apps that came along after that and all these companies that got, that got built from that. You know, you think about Uber and Lyft. And I guess those are a couple of the big, big ones. But there's a lot of 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 things that we have in our world today that would not be possible if it wasn't for that app sitting on top of a cell phone, right? Think of it in terms of the platform. So you have the cell phone, which is the platform. Think of UAS or UAV, whatever you want to right, call it. Right, right. That's a platform. Right. You know, things that you need the foundation. You you you, you have to have a good foundation, and then what do you build on top of right. that? So like with UAS, it's like, okay, that whatever that package that payload is that's the technology the uas is the platform your cell phone is the platform there's a lot of things that robotics uh, pick a robot yep. now put the ai as the the robot well, I, the, the robot's the platform the ai is the package well that gives it mobility that gives it ability to interact and move and and function within Okay, I'm scaring myself. Society. I, 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 well, but you've seen but it you know out where here. We're going right. We have a yeah. robot functioning with our office right now. In a, in a, you have a weird society at your <laughs> office, but that, that's <laughs> but discussion for a later this time. particular gentleman was talking about how AI is that platform. So See, and I now and robotics and is now the platform. Well, okay, but you look so, at. Let's take that apart a little bit. Okay. So I look at what provides the mobility so but i may be looking at ai as more sentient and well so ai when it when it becomes integrated more and more into robotics then yes okay. then the artificial intelligence now has a, an ability to move the ro the robot by itself is no more than what you tell it to do it's a platform so if it's going to weld a car, it welds a car. Right. If it's going to move a box from point A to point B, or when you're in an Amazon warehouse, for example, and you have a thousand of these little robots running all over the place it's packing your you stuff, it's what it's programmed to do. When you add artificial intelligence to it, then it starts to think a little bit on its own, 
you know, and a great example is Astro. So it will have, it has the ability, by the way, to go on patrol in our building at night. So if it hears a noise, it goes and investigates and determines if somebody's broken in or if there's just a mouse running around. See, or, now, that'd be cool. I wouldn't have to send my wife. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife would really appreciate that, right? We'll find out what that noise yeah. is. I don't want to go downstairs. <laughs> but that's what this does, you know. And if there's something to be concerned about, then it will alert you. If it's if it's nothing to be concerned about, then no big deal. You know, if it's ghosts it's or whatever. Just the wind, yeah. So, but this guy that I was watching this morning, he was talking about how artificial intelligence at, is at this. And then companies will build stuff on top of it, right? Kind of like how apps were built on top of phones, so he thinks that the, the greatest wealth through artificial intelligence is yet to come with the types of integrations that happen because of artificial intelligence. And he was he's like, I don't know what those are yet, but who would have thought that the Lyft and Uber would be a thing 10 years ago? Right. Right. And that only happens because we have this device. So I think that's what you really have to think about. And, and the fact that AI can think for itself and and i just think that and i think he's right i think that that we don't even know what's possible yet and it'll be interesting to have this conversation that you and i are having like 10 years from now uh just to see what has happened in the last 10 years because we can go right down the list with with apps and all the things i mean who would have thought that you could pick up your phone and it would it would say take me from here um you know to plymouth illinois or back you know, and not even have to pick up a, a map or anything nowadays. Just well, it's incredible. Watch out for the cliff. Um, just think back ten years of what wasn't there ten years ago. Now, right. Um, so, am I looking at it wrong, or, or it? Well, I think, like, I, like I said, in my mind, the robotic is the platform. I, th I think you I think robotics is, are a platform too. I think they're okay. both kind of platforms, but I think you're going to see a merging of the platform because i see the ai far outpacing if you put it in terms of a platform it, it it's apples to oranges right. where ai is going to go yep. versus where robotics are currently and they get a little more space but they need that input well, i do believe though that ai be the input i believe that ai is actually going to uh increase the pace at which we develop robotics though because now you have artificial intelligence actually designing robots where, you know, so I think that that pace of development will be significantly faster because so have, these yeah, what if I, scenarios. Yeah, I know. I, that's again. I, I, I need a better <laughs> tank body to go take out humans. Right. Yeah. Right. I think it's interesting that government is really getting into AI already. I don't know. I, I, I am really. I don't know what I think about that, Steve. Well, I we've just had that conversation. I know we have, and and look how, it's gotten significant in the last week. That's well, why I'm bringing it up. And we talk about AI and how fast it's advancing, but let's take a couple steps back and see where AI was to this point. Now, we're seeing a lot of stuff out in the public form, and the pace is incredible yeah. at which things are progressing but the backstory to me is the interesting part so how much stuff was behind closed doors before the door got kicked open by chat gpt so 
people have been working on this for a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, ChatGPT has been uh, since 2015. Yeah, I mean, it's it's this isn't overnight. This but is it just feels open, over. Yeah, yeah they, they just didn't have the public using it as all. Right. So, when and where did the government get involved? That's a good question. Are, I guess are you, are you I guess back to 15, 20. I guess that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I just. I'm a little disheartened by you know all all the potential regulation that's going to be coming already, and if you got in the way of automobiles back in the in the 1900s, you know the early 1900s, I don't think the automobile would be as successful as it is. For example, now there's a time, you know, and the time you have the was Model T still pulled by a horse. Sure. We right. might have, you know, yeah. you don't know. That that might have been the iteration yeah. of the automobile. yeah, because because you had you had two lobbies going on, and they they would have compromised and say, yeah, build all the cars you want, they have to be pulled by horses. Yeah, yeah, you never know, right? But they were out of the way long enough to you know kind of get into the federal side of signage and things. The Tech Ranch, Love. us on the Tech Ranch. Let's rejoin Marlo and Steve as they guide us through the fascinating world of technology. So I suppose I need to explain that statement. Yes, So yeah, so there was a time a hundred years ago that every state wasn't around. had its own stop sign. Every state had its own stop sign. Or yield sign. Or yield sign. Or whatever type of sign. Now, there were some that were similar in design, but as we became more and more mobile, you know, like, for example, you and I live in North Dakota, right? So if we would have went and we would have drove down to Texas, we would probably have had to know what the stop signs looked like in six or seven different states. Didn't they all say stop? Some did, but do you do you typically? Well, of course they did, but do you typically look at the words on a sign, or do you just know them by the shape? Well, you know them by the shape. That's but right. If they were all different, then you would know the words on the sign. You'd probably be more apt to look at the wording on the signs, right? But like I tell my wife all the time, be aware of your surroundings. But it's interesting if you go if you go look. That's right, situational awareness <laughs> yeah, again, situational right? Situational awareness. So, but if you look at the signs back in those days, I mean, some of these signs were yellow. You know, so a stop sign would be yellow in some states, and then it would be red in others, and who knows, purple in another one or whatever. So if you were used to having a blue stop sign, and then you come into Nebraska, and their stop signs are yellow, then you really have to pay attention. And I'm not saying that people didn't, but there were, there were a lot of accidents because of this. So having the federal government come in to unify the states with road signs made a hell of a lot of sense. It wasn't that long ago, actually, that traffic lights weren't uniform. Right. That's correct. Uh, it, uh, was it 80s? 70s? I remember being somewhere one time in the 80s. not everywhere had a, a yellow. Yes, that's right. 
not everywhere had a yellow, and then that was part of the uniforming process. Yep. But that was that was later. So I guess the point I'm kind of getting at Why here is, there a is traffic light. I, I like blue; it's my favorite color. It is. My well, yellow's mine, but but Should I understand that traffic. blue would have been fun. Yeah. But I think that you know, there's a time, and I'm not saying that there's not going to be mistakes with AI, but we should kind of, in my opinion, should be out of the way of it for a little bit, let it grow to what it, its potential is, and then you come in after the fact and say, all right, these are the things that need to be fixed, and these are the things that are impacting a lot of people, and let's fix those, right? So isn't that the time that the federal government should look at some regulation and not now? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yep. Because I think that getting involved too soon will stifle the inspiration. Leave it to the federal government to peak too soon. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the ingenuity of this emerging technology that's going to change all of us, you know? So Hi, we're the federal government. Yeah. We're here to help. No, I mean, it, you, you, I've, I've watched this happen with autonomous vehicles, and I think maybe the... The um, the car manufacturers themselves probably aren't so terribly upset about it, but but the technology is basically there. Okay, so a lot of the the push on the federal government side is coming from people. That is it a case of people aren't they're afraid of the unknown or they're afraid of what they don't understand. Is that more the case here? Because the federal government, the elected officials, they're just going to do what their constituents push them towards or lobbyists, and they're responsive. So, so getting in front of something, that's not their space. So let me ask you this. I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to answer your question with an accident. Yeah. We know where that goes. But So you do this all the time on our show. You quote from what? Movies. So until you and I had have had in-depth conversations about AI on this show, mm-hmm. what, what did you base all of your information about artificial intelligence on? Hell 9000. That's where it started. Okay. So uh, Star Trek with the computer system. So the where, do you, computer system? where do you think all of our legislators probably get their information from? Because this is a total unknown. Oh, no, they're busy. They don't have to watch. They don't have time to watch TV like I do. Okay. I, Whatever you say. I'm sure they watch a little television. Well, okay, so with legislators, the process is it's like you assign a staffer to go, hey, get me a report on this because I don't have time to read the 7,000-page bill. Right. So give me a Cliff right. Notes right. version. And that's usually how the legislative process works. And, and then and then, and then, then there's staffers who have watched, you know, 18 different episodes of Black Mirror yeah. and they had Next Generation Star Trek or whatever. This is the AI that they know. Because all they've all they've been taught, you know, to this point is what's been in somebody's mind that's writing science fiction. Yeah, cool to have a staffer who watched Doctor Who. That's true. You know, I think about that. If you put together your political staff, it's like, okay, you're a Doctor Who fan, you're a Star Trek fan, <laughs> you're a Terminator fan, you're and, a Matrix. And all of you have to give fan. me a report on this yeah, particular thing. Know, that's a diversified staff. That would be really interesting to see how those reports would come back. How do you <laughs> feel about this? Well, you know, <laughs> be hilarious. That's how you should legislate. That's right. That's right. Stay based on the movies you've seen. 
So I yeah, I think it would be I think it's kind of interesting that that we're getting in the way of this and and uh we don't know what we're doing. Which so, I guess is pretty typical, right? Yeah. Well, because it's it, it's typically the government reacts. So That is true. Why are they not reacting in this space then because there's there's more of a knee jerk to get in front of it um, unless unless what you stated earlier is true that they've actually been in the know about what's going on for longer than we realize right so maybe there is not involved at the at some level with the development side and i've told you my darpa story with a friend of mine that swears that facebook came out of darpa right and that program closed down the day Facebook launched. Okay, there's a there's a lot that makes sense there. Sure. So why wouldn't the government be involved in some of the development of artificial intelligence? You know, it, when you start thinking of different applications from a governmental or a, or a military perspective, why wouldn't you be right? And we're talking about this, and I, I know of a of a computer system. That was just replaced in a government entity that was 46 years old. They still had hell. And I'm I'm listening to this conversation, and I'm like, how can anything operating in government be 46 years old? What did they have to go through to keep that thing operating? Just just the operating system alone, and the security issues and everything else with that. And I'm like, that's, and then of course it was, you know, blamed on budgetary constraints. Funny story, go back and, uh, you know, so I had a friend and got a full tour of the Pentagon prior to the, the plane 9-11. And everybody takes shortcuts through the back halls because that's how you get from one side of that building to the other because there's it's know, a massive houses. building it's a massive building yep. and it's funny because you'll walk through a door and you'll see this beautiful lavish office that belongs to a four-star general or an admiral and then you'll go through another door and you're in the back hallway and you'd think you're in a cell block in a prison and the original wavy glass on the windows overlooking the courtyard on the inside because there's not the money there to keep up that building. But you right. see the Pentagon, you think of the Pentagon as this sleek tech state of the art yep. building. It's not. Yeah. It's just bits and pieces. Right. And that tends to be what happens when finances get involved on the government side of thing is they stitch and patch things together. But it just makes the makes the story about that we're not keeping up. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. Technology comes alive. Let's dive back into the conversation with Marlo and Steve. And don't forget to check out thetechranch.com for more. I'm talking with Chris Vandeventer, uh, an iPhoneographer. Uh, Chris, what is an iPhoneographer? Uh, generally, somebody that takes um, photos with their mobile phone, uh, generally an iPhone, but it's come to incorporate. So beyond a tourist. Yeah, basically somebody that wants to that does it sort of like on a regular basis and does so it. So beyond a selfie addict. Pretty much, yeah. Somebody that goes out and takes art photos with their phone. Okay, art photo. That's a little bit different because that's kind of a um, a unique space. It, mm -hmm. it, when you're looking at different mediums for um, art and expression and, and capturing images, where cell phones have come over the last 
well, even three or four years, has been absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Let me just try to look up something real quick here. So when you're looking at uh, the ability to, because there's kind of a an arms race between different uh, phone companies, between mm-hmm. Samsung and Google and iPhone, and they're all, it's about the camera now. It's not about necessarily the rest of the functionality of the phone. It's, well, but my camera's better than your camera. Right. Uh, the joke is, is that, you know, iPhoneographers, we refer to our phones as cameras that take phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's some days that I wish I just had a phone that actually made and took phone calls, mm-hmm. maybe text occasionally. Other than that, I, uh, I, you know, Marlo and I have, have had this conversation because you take a look at what, you know, look at my phone. It, it's not a phone. It's mm-hmm. my wallet and it's got my, well, and then the cameras kind of train people because there's times I would like to disconnect, but if I go to a concert or an event or, you know, you got to have your camera with you. Mm-hmm. Society's changed. Correct. That that phone and the camera feature mm-hmm. has changed society. It's not always about the connectivity or being on the social media. It's about being able to have that instantaneous ability to take a picture or a video. Right. The best camera is the one you always have with you. Right. It doesn't matter what resolution it is. Is if you don't have it with you, it doesn't matter. You know, they talk about athletics. It's like, what's the best ability? Availability. Right. You know, the ability to be there on a. You know, and but the the spread of uh, camera phone camera phones it has led it to a couple of different things. One, are you actually experiencing your event, or are you just there documenting it? You know, my. Um, Son recently had his last band concert, and I was able to FaceTime my wife and show her some of the concert because she was homesick. Um, but they also have some. That's a great use, though. I, right. I, I view that as a great use. Mm-hmm. And I yell at my wife all the time. It's like, would you get off your phone and be where you are? Right. But then you also have um, some artists who they sell you Wi Fi, they, they make you put your phone in a Wi Fi dampening bag. Yeah, comedy shows. Before you can go to yeah. a concert or, yeah, comedy show. It's just they don't want you recording it. Um, my wife wasn't able to get tickets to Taylor Swift because of the whole Ticketmaster debacle. So she's been watching people's phone videos of her Eras tour on Facebook <laughs> just so she can get her fix. Um, but it's like the old bootlegging movies in the theater, right. Seinfeld episode. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoy taking um, pictures with my phone because I really, the phone has, I mean, I've been doing it ever since um, I got my iPhone 4. Um, you know, 13, almost, yeah, almost 13 years ago. And you're, you're forced to be more creative in how you frame your photos because of the limited form factor of your camera phone. And there are certain features of it that you can actually take advantage of. Now they've got better resolution, uh, you, on the professional models, you can get a wide angle or a zoom lens. Uh, I used to buy add on lenses for my camera, for my phone. That would give me that telephoto ability. Oh, I had a uh, uh, Motorola with the, remember the Motorola with all the uh, add-on features? Mm-hmm. So you could buy the projector or you could buy the super lens for taking pictures. They, they had like f- the mods. It was it was mm-hmm. the Moto Mods series. And they had like five different uh, mm-hmm. mods you could buy. Um, 
the lens thing was was kind of that yeah i bought a um there's a company called moment that makes um a case for your phone and they sell you high-end um lenses to go on that that's sort of an add-on and they actually do a pretty good job um but even I've I found that with the newer phones I don't need the add-on lenses much anymore because I can pretty much do whatever I need to do. Now I can't make a super zoom like I used to, like eight or sixteen times. Um, well, I, I know for example, like a lot of the outdoor shows, um, and a lot of sportsmen that get out hunting, they, you know, there's a a, a case that you can get to mount your phone into, depending on your phone, yeah. uh, so that you can take pictures through the aperture for spotting scopes. Mm-hmm. So now you've got a spotting scope that's a lens. Right. Uh, you're right there. You can get add-ons to look in your own ears um, if you want to check your kids' ears. Or be really flexible. Yeah, yeah something like that. <laughs> um, you can add them onto telescopes and microscopes. Um, yeah, they're really handy. Um, about 10 years ago, I went on a uh, tour of Cape Cod with Jack Hollingsworth. He's um, sort of an iPhone photography evangelist. He's used to be nothing but film and then digital photography and then he switched over to his iphone and hasn't looked back because he finds that it it's the spur of the moment it's the creativity you're forced to frame things in a different way and it lets you get back because that that big screen you can actually stand back from where you're taking the photo and see the whole scene around you come to life and you can decide how you want to photograph that person or that landscape um, and then you have all the apps you can put on your phone that'll um, make post-processing. I like one called Blender, where I can take two different photos and I can selectively erase part of it and have the photo in the back come through. Um, worked great with my... Um, well, that's actually a feature on Google, on, yeah. on the Google phones, mm-hmm. is that they're, they're promoting the heck out of that right Yeah, the now. Magic Eraser. The I Magic mean, Eraser. I had a Magic Eraser app on here long before Google even had a phone. And, um, you know, it's just gotten better over time with the AI to adjust those things. Um, I use it particularly with my um, son and his grandparents. His grandfather was invariably had his eyes closed or he wasn't looking at the camera. So I would take multiple (laughs) photos and then I'd take the good one where my son and his grandma were looking great. Grandpa was looking off somewhere else. Find the one where grandpa's staring right ahead and nobody else is looking at the camera and merge the two. Blend them together. Yeah. And that works out pretty good. One new feature That's I like. That's a cool feature, actually, being yeah. able to do that. Because how many pictures do you take? Your, you know, sporting events or that one in a life. Day, mm-hmm. There's one thing you notice in there. It's like, there's one new feature I like on the, on the for iPhone photography is that if you take a picture of a person or something, um, you can actually tap and hold the photo. And it will automatically determine who's in the foreground. You can actually instantly crop out somebody from the foreground and paste that into another photo. Oh, so it's cut and paste, not... Pretty much, yeah. You basically... Well, that takes Photoshop to an entirely different mm -hmm. level. Absolutely. You go in and you have somebody in the foreground, you can just tap and hold, and it'll automatically decide who they were. It has to have been taken with that particular phone. You can't do it with some older phones, um, but... Yeah, it's I mean, so you can't take a photo on an older iPhone and then do it. It has to have been one that's taken with the iPhone directly. Oh, just to play a little conspiracy theorist at the moment. Boy, is that, uh, you know, with AI, 
and you know some of the talk about some of the deep fakes and mm-hmm. video and and pictures and ooh, you, you, you got to be careful nowadays. Yeah, I mean, photo manipulation has been around for years. I mean, for centuries since the f- camera was invented. But the technology to it, it's just so much easier now. Yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. cut and paste, boom, done. Mm-hmm. Adobe just announced that they have this. Um, artificial intelligence fill that they're adding to Photoshop. So you can basically say, okay, I have a picture and then I want the background changed, but make it rain candy canes. And <laughs> I mean, seriously. Now, some would. Isn't that a filter on some of the social media? Oh, now? yeah, something like that. Then you have this big argument about whether it's actually photography, um, AI generated images. I mean, by its barest definition, it's not photography because you're not capturing light on a digital sensor or on film. You're manipulating pixels and data in a computer, but you're not doing any of the creating. So that brings up an interesting point because I want to come back and talk about the art side of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we talk about chat GPT and, and different AI. And did you really write it yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, the plagiarism discussion, what it means in schools for writing papers. Let's go to the art world a little bit because with the ability to enhance or manipulate or create a photo without actually being there taking a photo. Right. Where's the line for what's really art and what's not art? It, it creates a lot of gray area. Mm-hmm. I think from my perspective, it can be considered art because- It's just not a traditional art. Right, You're, it's no different than let's say Jackson Pollock just throwing paint on a canvas and making something really impressionistic and abstract. Using AI is just another tool. I'm really good at that, by the way, but yeah. nobody will pay me for it. <laughs> it's just another tool you can use to create art. But the key thing is you have to be honest about it. There was a guy who created an entirely AI-generated photo of two women, submitted it to a photo contest, and won, even though he told them it was AI-generated. And it's like, it's not was a it photo. An AI-generated Contest. No, it was just a photo contest. And so you, I think the jury is going to be out on that because a lot of these photo, these AI image generators, they're being trained on people's copyrighted work. So it's going out and it's crawling all these photos from the internet saying, well, they're out there. I'm just going to use them to teach my computer how to, how to make art. But the original images were copyrighted. So I think the courts are going to have a, a big say in this down the line. It's like, how much of somebody else's work are you allowed to take to generate new? Yeah, then there's the other side of getting caught on that as well, because you know, unless you're a, a Getty Images mm-hmm. that has everything copyrighted, but while it's really easy to crop out the Getty Images right. watermark at the bottom of a photo. And I think you know, the average person doesn't realize that the minute they take a photo, it's copyrighted to them. They just don't have the, the resources and the lawyers right. to go after somebody for taking it. Yeah, I've um, got a friend that's taken pictures for a long time that uh, you know, never went out and went through that process. And then he's noticed in different trade magazines and things, mm-hmm. his photos are there. And he's like, well, who got... you know?" He went and paid a professional photographer for some of these photos. It's like, who gave him permission for that? Because he didn't. Mm-hmm. But yet they're in a trade magazine. Right. Um, 
AI is a big shortcut for a lot of that. Mm -hmm. and, and I think where the courts are going to have to, or the, the government's going to have to have a little say is how do you keep the integrity of a medium, mm -hmm. keep the integrity and keep it to that that produced it, that which produced it, you know, who does that intellectual property belong to and protecting that intellectual property. Mm -hmm. That's going to be another facet, another extension of where AI from art goes. Right. Because right now I think the courts have said that AI generated art is not copyrightable because a computer created it. But if I take an image that I asked AI to generate and then I manipulate it in some way to add my own touch, does it then become copyrighted? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. And that's something we we just don't know. It, yeah. You know, when we talk about AI and and where regulation is is going to fall because there's a lot of talk about regulation coming into the AI world and trying to get ahead of it and which isn't really the space of the government, but um I think that's a lot of the space from a legal precedent that should be talked about, mm -hmm. should be identified, try to get in front of some of that because now you're talking about real intellectual property. You just have to identify that property mm -hmm. into the correct category. Yeah, and there's the, that, I think you hit it right on the head. There's two issues. There's the intellectual property and copyright issue with AI, and then there is the public manipulation aspect of it, the deep fakes, the... Um, intentional misleadingness. I mean, to 2024, if we thought 2016 and 2020 were off the rails for the presidential race, 2024, hold on to your hats. I mean. It's scary where it could yeah. go. Mm -hmm. it, it really is. And I think that's the definite role of government is to say, okay, what is the truth in advertising here? So when you're looking at that truth in advertising from an intellectual property perspective, um, like I said, there's just so much gray area. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. We're thrilled to have you with us as we continue exploring living with technology alongside Marlo and Steve. We're talking with Chris Van Deventer, and I'm Steve Bakken. Uh, this is the Tech Ranch. Uh, Marlo, I, Marlo disappeared again. I don't know where he went, Chris, but uh, there's too many toys around the office. Yes. And because we're, we're broadcasting today from uh, Marlo's office, and not the regular studio and he gets distracted here really easy yes lots of shiny things there, there are shiny objects everywhere mm -hmm. and, it, <laughs> and we'll talk about astro as well because uh, astro is one of the shiny objects running around but uh um i want to finish up on some of the discussion about photography um i phonographer that yeah. uh, you technically are and you know one of the things that uh, pop up on social media quite a bit this time of the year is uh, thunderstorms popping up mm -hmm. and, and um, everybody's trying to catch that lightning photo. And, and I've just gotten in the habit. It's like, okay, you know there's going to be a good flash. Take a video and then crop out what you need. Right. That That's usually mm -hmm. been the easiest way to take a picture of lightning. Right. When I first got my iPhone 4, um, we were driving late at night, my wife and I, and there was a storm off in the distance. And while she was driving, I just sat, sat there with my camera and I just was repeatedly tapping the shutter and just 
hoping to catch something. <laughs> um, but then um, that's so old school with the amount with the technology that's available with the processing power in these computers. This is what we're carrying around is these aren't phones. These are computers. The light flash from a that explains why the laptop is cheaper than your phone nowadays. This is true. Right. Uh, there's an app out called um, it's called iLightning Cam, and I don't know if it's available on the Google Play Store for Android, but I've had it since its first iteration. And other than a big warning saying lightning is dangerous, do not use this app outdoors. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's really handy because you can say you can you can. Adjust. Well, that made legal happy. So yeah. it's, you can adjust your shutter speed, and you can sell it. Put it off on full auto. Mount it on a tripod. Point it at the lightning at the thundercloud, and it'll sit there and it'll take a picture of every lightning bolt. And you, it's a clear as day. Um, some of them don't come out very well because even extraneous light from a uh, passing vehicle will trigger the shutter. But you can adjust it for heavy lightning, for light lightning, for sporadic lightning. I mean. You can block out your horizon. It's I've used it multiple times here in Bismarck to take pictures of lightning off my, out of my house. Uh, I look out over the Capitol, so I'm on the north north side of town, and I, out my back door you can see all the way to the Capitol building, and that's just a great shot with those thunderclouds that roll in from the oh, Missouri River, and you can just get all these little lightning flashes. And it's, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, talk about the features on a phone and, and with the camera side of things. Um, how many people actually go in and just play with their camera? I mean, I, I get a phone and I'm like, okay, it's got a camera, great. And then I'll figure it out when I use the camera. You can't do that anymore. There's so many features mm -hmm. with a camera and, and the ability to manipulate what a photo photograph looks like or when you're taking it. So you're at a concert and it's dark and you don't like that artist that's just a blur of light, but you remember that who the artist is. Um, you don't have to put up with that anymore. Right, and some of the camera app creators, uh, Apple has added a bunch of features where you can manipulate shutter speed and things like that through the actual camera on the phone, like you would on a digital camera. Right. Um, but there's, but there's other apps that, that'll do that too. They'll get down to the bare, the nitty gritty, and so you can actually get yourself a professional DSLR type control on your phone. Well, that's the other thing too, is you, you take a look at a camera phone and okay, that's even on a cutting edge, what they sell or you think mm -hmm. they're selling is the, the latest, greatest. It's really not the latest, greatest. It's, it's, they're all base models because you can add an app to that. Mm -hmm. You could upgrade almost anything when it comes to your phone uh, for the camera. So you're basically getting a, a, a basic camera mm -hmm that, well, how good do you want it? Right. You talk about uh, being able to manipulate photos and being creative and just playing with them. Um, one thing about digital cameras is they are sensitive to infrared light. So digital sensors will pick up infrared. And so to prevent that from affecting your photos, they put a filter to block the infrared right in front of the sensor. And that's on most of your commercial cameras these days, and all the newer phones have them too, but the iPhone 4 didn't. It was sensitive to infrared light. It didn't have a filter. And I learned this because they say, well, go into a dark room and move your remote control around and start pushing buttons. If you can see the, L the, the infrared LED flash in your camera, then you know that it 
can see infrared. So I went out and I got myself an ultra dark infrared filter from like a photo place, put it in front of my camera lens and I went out and started taking pictures. Huh. And the pictures come out super dark and red, but then I apply a black and white filter to it in the editing app and boom, it's like I'm taking pictures of an x-ray. It's like a, to see the infrared side of things. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. So there's ways to get really creative with this. If you if you want to go outside the box and not just do what's in the phone, put prisms up to it or yeah, I didn't kaleidoscopes realize, and I, I I didn't realize the quality of camera that I had with my Samsung until uh, my wife and I were on vacation and went to take a photo of us and another couple outdoors at night, and it we found a fairly dark spot, so we could just take the picture and I figure, okay, to have the, I think my flash fo uh, option was, was okay. If you need it, great. If not, it's not on. And flash didn't go off. I'm like, okay, take another picture. Flash didn't go off. Looked at the pictures. I'm like, holy crap. Does that lens gather light? Mm -hmm. And then I noticed in the background, the night sky, I'm like, wait a minute. So I started taking some pictures up at the stars, and I was like, holy crap, do I get space? It's like the Hubble telescope. Mm -hmm. the, the pictures were amazing. That's when I started to play with my camera a little bit more and go, mm -hmm. this thing takes really good pictures. Mm -hmm. And if you couple it with the telescope, you can get even better. <laughs> <laughs> the actual tele. Well, but now you start talking about the different apps that are out there. Mm -hmm. So you can take a, a, a photo of what I deem as incredible quality, and couple it with a telescope mm -hmm. or a spotting scope, like I mentioned, or you know, add the filters on it that improve this and this and this and this. And where's the level of photography end? I I, I don't see a ceiling to this. In the old days, when you wanted to take like a time lapse or like of um, like star trails, right? Um, you would basically lock open your shutter, and then it would just pick up all the light on right. the film as it went around. There's really no way to lock open a shutter on no on these phones. Well, you think back in the old uh, cowboy days, it's like okay, or Civil War days, pull it off one one thousand two one thousand three. I put the cover back on. Yeah, you or the stand film. there for five minutes. And no smile. Yeah, um, but you can actually um, manipulate the virtual shutter a little bit and slow it down. I've taken pictures of um, waterfalls where I put on. There's an app, Slow Shutter, that that'll just basically do a faux. Um, shutter lock and you just sit there and you just keep your camera steady and you take a picture and it will just all the water will just blend together so you're not getting those sharp little water droplets in a waterfall you're getting that ghostly kind of veil a little fuzzy yeah like the Bob Ross yeah. type it's like isn't that a pretty little thing <laughs> I love Bob who doesn't love Bob Ross that's right uh, but okay Bob Ross re reference Technique. Mm -hmm. Technique matters, especially when it comes to taking digital photographs with this new medium today. If you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. 
This is Outdoor Issues with Mia Roberts and North Dakota Game and Fish Outreach Biologist Greg Gullickson. The paddlefish season has come and gone, but for the first time in quite a while, it lasted for its full 21-day stint. And Greg, what made this year different? I'm really not sure. You know, there was still quite a bit of pressure. The flows were a little bit higher this year, so that does impact that paddlefish fishery. And for the first time in, I can't remember how long, the whole 21-day season did happen. Usually we'll have an additional seven snag and release days after that. If you want more information on paddle fishing, there's a great link on the Game and Fish Department website at gf.nd.gov. And my paddlefish tag this year remained unsnapped. So, yeah, still a good opportunity to get out there and enjoy a different type of fish. Absolutely. Thanks for that, Greg. And hey, we'll talk more fishing when we come back. Summer in North Dakota. Nope, not at the neighbors, Bob. Huh? No bugs. They put in a phantom screen. Oh, how could we get a phantom screen? Ow. Go to OutdoorLivingMinot.com or stop in at Outdoor Living in Barbecue on West Burdick. Phantom screens are perfect for garage doors, patios and porches, lanais and decks, and won't block your view. Did I mention the remote control? Open and close your phantom garage door screen with the touch of a button. Phantom screens at Outdoor Living and Barbecue, 1905 West Burdick or Outdoor OutdoorLivingMinot.com. At Trinity Health, we're dedicated to helping people do more. We're here with exceptional physicians and specialists committed to your well-being. We deliver the latest advances in cancer, heart, orthopedic, neurosurgical, and women's medicine. In emergencies, our Level 2 Trauma Center is ready with life-saving care. Together, we're doing more so you can enjoy all the promise of a lifetime lived well. Trinity Health, making more possible. To learn more, visit makingmorepossible.com. The Memorial Day weekend is now in our rearview mirror, but Greg, it looks like another great summer of fishing in North Dakota. Absolutely. We are going through a little bit of winter kill on some of our lakes, mainly in the eastern part of the state, but hats off to our fisheries crews for getting that work done. And, you know, our wildlife crews are busy out there too, planting food plots, getting prepared for that fall hunting season. But it looks like it's going to be another great summer for fishing. For most people, it was probably the first time that boat got in the water, the pontoon got in the water, getting the docks and everything ready at the cabin, cleaning out the camper. Yeah, it's just looking to be another great summer in North Dakota. And if Lake Sakakawea, for example, is as good as it was last year wow that was an incredible fishery and the way it's even started out this spring it looks to be really good season for fishing not only on skakwea but some of our other water bodies across north dakota all right looking forward to it greg that'll bring this report to a close if you miss one check us on the website outdoorissues.com until next time i'm neil roberts you've been listening to outdoor issues brought to you in part by outdoor living and barbecue in minot by trinity health making more possible and enjoy a home-cooked meal at homesteaders in minot Mandan Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. Here's the latest from ABC News. I'm Dave Packer. 
Today, President Biden signing the bipartisan debt ceiling deal. With just two days left before the projected date the nation would default on its loan obligations, President Biden signed the Fiscal Responsibility Act of 2023 into law that raises the debt limit and avoids default. Saturday, the president signed the hard-fought bipartisan deal behind closed doors hours after a primetime address to the nation, praising both parties for working together, even if it wasn't easy. Because in moments like this one, the ones we just faced, where the American economy and the world economy is at risk of collapsing, there's no other way. Michelle Franzen, ABC News. The mother of Natalie Holloway could soon see the suspect in her daughter's disappearance and death in a U.S. court, but on charges of extortion. In Peru, he has been serving a 28-year sentence for the murder of another woman, Stephanie Flores. Now, here in the U.S., he is set to face fraud and extortion charges in Alabama from 2010, when he allegedly demanded a quarter of a million dollars from Holloway's mother in exchange for information leading to where the teen was buried. ABC's Elwin Lopez. Ukraine to strike back and calling for air defense assistance from its Western allies. ABC's Tom Sophie Boric is in Kharkiv. Ukrainian officials have been for weeks promising a major counteroffensive, but President Zelensky now signaling his forces are ready. The Ukrainian president also telling the Wall Street Journal, quote, a large number of Ukrainian soldiers will die in the counteroffensive because of Russia's air superiority over the front lines. The White House telling ABC News it's confident Ukraine has the air defense capabilities it needs. Churchill Downs, the home of the Kentucky Derby, is suspending racing on its track. This while investigators work to find out what caused a dozen horses to die there in the last two months. After this weekend, the scheduled races will take place at another racetrack in Henderson, Kentucky. This is ABC News. Super Talk 1270, Bismarck Area Weather. With your forecast, I'm Corey Hartman. For today, mostly sunny, 87, a bit breezy at times. Tonight, mid-60s with an isolated storm possible. For Sunday, slight chance of a shower or thunderstorm, otherwise mostly sunny. Back to the upper 80s. For Monday, scattered storms, otherwise sunshine and 88. Try Grandpa's Barbecue Sauce, made from an original family recipe. Get it now at grandpasbbqshop.com. Right now, it's 87. Fishing enthusiast or not, this time of year in June, there really isn't a bad spot to toss a line. Pro angler Johnny Candle joins our crew. This is back with the outdoors radio show, The Bend. We have outdoor news, spotlight grizzly sightings in Yellowstone, plus your travel and entertainment headlines. Right here, Saturdays following Ranch It Up on Super Talk 1270. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Super Talk 1270. Portions of the following program are pre recorded. Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. When you start talking about trends in computers, there's a lot to learn, a lot to know. Um, you know, whether it's the virus side, the software side, what's compatible, what's not. Uh, we're talking with Chris Vandeventer. Uh, 
What are you seeing as far as some of the trends that are out there? Because I, when I look at uh, the computer side of things, there seems to be, oh, I don't know if it, it, it's a flow. It's more of a movement because things tend to shift as a group. What are you seeing out there for computer trends? Uh, because with AI, uh, there's a game change going on, a mm. big paradigm shift in what we consider as computer or computer intelligence or the ability of computers to work for us. Um, so what are you seeing as some of the trending for computing going? Well, I, one of the things I see quite a bit, and these are just commercials on the security side, you see a lot like with WhatsApp saying, okay, we encrypt all your text messages. If you're sending a text message without using our app, anybody could read it. They have the commercial where it's like you put a sending a private letter via carrier pigeon. Anybody could read it. And so they, they're really forcing on this privacy and encryption because people are out there, they're gonna do bad things. Then you see the commercials for VPNs, virtual private networks. You need to log in through a VPN to keep the advertisers away and to keep snoopers from looking at your stuff. But ultimately, if somebody wants to get into your computer, they're going to. Um, what these are going after is sort of like the casual. It's like, I went out and I checked my bank account at Starbucks. Somebody's gonna steal my account information. That's possible, but somebody has to be actually in the building with you using the same Wi-Fi, knowing that you're going to that site and trying to get into your device. Which is still possible. It's still possible. I think the security issues are overblown slightly. Well, so one of the things we're hearing security-wise right now is uh, don't hop onto public Wi-Fi um, unless you've got extra layers of security. Mm -hmm. um, you know, two-step authentication is becoming three-step authentication. Um, do you see some AI changing that as far as what people need to be cognizant of? Because, you know, for just from a hacker or a scammer perspective, that's changed a lot because mm -hmm. you could have AI doing a bulk of the work now uh, as far as scamming or hacking somebody. Yeah. You, you, you hear about the, the different artificial voices that are created mm -hmm. that aren't who you're talking to. Um, there's a lot of different layers of security mm -hmm. that need to be added because of all this. Yeah, I think the base security that anybody needs when they're using a phone, and I don't, I don't buy into stay off public Wi-Fi. I would say that don't trade stocks on public Wi-Fi. Don't do all your banking on public Wi-Fi. But there's really nothing wrong with connecting to a Wi-Fi in a hotel or at a Starbucks because you need to be connected. Um, at the same time, what it really comes down to is your passwords. Passwords need to be secure. And that doesn't mean uh, what some people think is secure. You have to have a capital and a small lowercase and a special character and a number. For me, some of my passwords are just five random words strung together. Because it's well, that's super what long. they say is the best way yeah. to do it is come up with a goofy phrase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think that those work just as well. Because when you talk about AI and trying to get into somebody's account, you're looking at a brute force attack. It takes a lot longer to, to crack a 25 character code than an eight one that meets the special character number thing, because all it has to look for is A through Z, one through zero through nine, exclamation, asterisks. I mean, add more 
complexity in length, not in making it hard to remember. I, when I was mayor, uh, we went to uh, Bismarck, we went and got new uh, uh, security software and uh, we switched over to, okay, now you have a phrase. Trying to remember the phrase was a little, you know, because everybody writes their passwords down on mm -hmm. back of your laptop or on the, right on the keyboard mm -hmm. and also a bad idea. Don't do that. Um, but I, I remember the phrase, first phrase that I did, it's just like, a banana is a fruit from a tree that's yellow, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, who's going to hack that? Right. <laughs> I, um, that, that's where I switched everything. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Go to a phrase. Yeah, I ran the uh, 2020 census um, for the U.S. Census Bureau in North Dakota, and we had the same issue. Every, three, every month you had to change your password. It's like, that doesn't help. No. And remembering things, if I have to change it to something different every single time, and if you if you force me to do that, I'm just going to add a different number to the end. Right. And <laughs> and and that defeats the purpose of it being secure. And that's a lot of frustration for mm -hmm. people too, mm -hmm. because uh, people like the kiss principle, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and what are you going to remember? And well, okay, well I'll just add another number and add another number and add another. I used to get screwed up on my passwords. I'm like, okay, which extra symbol did I use? Was it the mm -hmm. exclamation point or the at sign? Yeah. <laughs> I look like, at my wife's passwords. That's secure. And it's like, are these hieroglyphs? What? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in the overall scheme of security, that's not the most secure. Mm -hmm. It's also not the easiest to remember. Right. So, you know, the other thing people fall into, too, is, that I notice is... People use one password for everything, mm -hmm. so that's not secure either. Right? Yeah, I use you get one, one. You get them all. Yeah, I want. I I use one password, and um, it's handy because my dad has been able to share with me his one password vault for if they if something happens to them. That way, I have access to all of their information. It's handy that way. Um, but my wife and I really can't share joint passwords across the app anymore because 1Password is now subscription-based and the apps are separate. <laughs> and it's like, I've just gotten around of, I just save um, my passwords right into the um, Apple Password Manager, right on my phone. It, it needs my face, it needs two factors, and nobody's gonna get it unless they have my face and my two-factor authentication methods. Yeah, so, okay. Two-factor authentication methods. Uh, we've been hearing a lot of talk about three-factor mm -hmm. authentication methods. What what does that look like? I haven't stumbled across any yet. But I haven't either. People are saying with AI and everything else, and and the level of attacks and the frequency, but that some of these platforms may start going to three mm -hmm. three-factor. I don't know. Um, the only example I know of recently is Twitter got rid of text authentic authentication. Is that texting is not secure? We're not going to send you any more codes via text. So earlier this spring, you had to switch to another method, whether it was email or some sort of token in the Twitter app on your phone, because they said texting is no longer secure. Now you have to go through this other process. Yet Google has pretty much all of my stuff, and they send me a text every time I try to log in. Yeah. So it's like, where's the medium? I don't know what the. So you need a text to log into your phone. So that you can get into your email to get the email to log into your phone. I, I yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's okay. Again, frustration, kiss mm -hmm. principle. But mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I can see some issues with people mm-hmm. going, oh, I, I give up. I just pretty pretty soon it's going to be like those um are you a robot questions and um rather than giving you pictures of bridges to select it's going to make you go outside and find a bridge (laughs) (laughs) how many cats are in this picture right um so what other trends are you seeing out there from a from a security perspective you know i'm a mac user so virus has never been a really um a concern of mine and it's not so much that macs don't get viruses is that in the old days, viruses were meant to propagate and spread. So they wanted Max to go th- do that. And they wanted to do it the quickest, easiest way. What's the most ubiquitous computer on the planet? A PC. So we're going to go to where you get the biggest bang for your buck. Um, See, Macs are actually like cats. They're very independent. And uh, yeah. yeah, I don't feel like doing that. You can do it, but. If you're only expecting one or two computers, where's the fun in that as a as a hacker? <laughs> or where's the profit in that? Right. Because mm-hmm. hackers typically and scams typically work on volume. Right. And a lot of it is it's about the human security. It's not about the physical security of your device. It's human security. I get that in this building all the time. There's um, something out there called Windows Security Defender. And it's a malicious pop-up on certain websites um, some not so kosher and some that would be considered perfectly fine, like auction sites or mapping sites. You click on the wrong thing on this page and suddenly it takes, it takes over your computer. It says, warning, your computer has been infected. Please do not shut down. Please call this number and we will fix it for you. A lot of people call that number. Yeah. And start handing out information left and right. They, somebody logs into their computer and suddenly the hackers have all your information. What I tell people is that they see that, force your computer to shut down. Unplug it from the wall or press that power button and hold it until it shuts down. It'll go away. And then find whatever website you had just visited and delete it. Yeah. <laughs> um, then there's another one. Well, oh, we just had one in the studio, uh, Marlo and I, he was in there when it happened. Um, I pulled up a, a local website and this pop-up showed up. And I'm like, wait a minute. And the whole thing was a yes button. So no matter where you click, yep, click mm-hmm. out of this. Now, no matter what you clicked on, it was yes. Mm-hmm. And I, there's two examples I'd throw out there. Um, phishing is basically the best way. You want me to stop? Okay, one. So phishing, um, you know, trying to convince you to do something you probably wouldn't do otherwise. Um, now we have this issue with on the web about everyone has to opt into everything. Some of the European rules about voluntary opt-in for cookie tracking and all that stuff. So you see all these pop-ups that come up. And what have we been accustomed to whenever we get a yes or no question online? We just click through our agree on our right. terms of service. Click, 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 click. Nobody reads the fine print. Yeah. So you'll get to a website and it'll say, do you want this site to allow notifications? No. Never never click yes. Hit no, no. Unless, unless you know the site. A lot of folks will just automatically click that. And then all of a sudden, they're getting these notifications in their um, Windows bar. Warning, you are infected. Please subscribe to McAfee now. <laughs> so the security sometimes isn't the most secure either. The Tech Ranch. Getting ready for more amazing tech insights from the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. A lot of people have different concern, uh, security concerns between their computer. 
computer, their PC, their, well, we'll leave Mac out of this. That's a different animal. Um, and their phone, because it depends on what you're doing from a computing perspective on your phone. Different security concerns, different protocols. You, you need to look at them different. You can't go, well, but I do this, this, and this on my computer, so I can do this, this, and this on my phone, or vice versa. You need to look at them differently when it comes to security. Right. Um, I think the simplest thing to think about is like if you have a desktop um, or like an all-in-one monitor system, more than likely your computer is plugged directly into your internet modem or your router. So there's no, it's not on wireless. It's not getting wireless signals um, that could be intercepted. Whereas your phone is either on cellular or it's on Wi-Fi. And so there's always that there's, there's information being transmitted via radio wave. Whereas, so the most secure thing would be to have it plugged physically into a wall jack. Um, but a secure a, wall jack because it, juice jacking and mm -hmm. and that whole thing we've talked uh, yeah. about in the past, that's a concern as well. Mm -hmm. So you know when we talk about being on uh, secure Wi-Fi or not on secure Wi-Fi, that secure code and transmission mm -hmm. of your data because most of them will transfer data back and forth. Know your cord. Know right. know what you're plugged into. If that's you right. Are. Mm -hmm. But then if you have a laptop, you're you're, you're mobile, you're in the kitchen, you're um, in the bedroom. So you're communicating via Wi-Fi that way. So there's just a lot of the concerns. I, I would say the biggest thing is if you're really that concerned, you get some sort of a virtual private network where you're logging into um, another server, basically, that's encrypted from everything else. Um, I had that on my son's phone for a while because he's on Verizon, and so we wanted to put him on a kid's protected mode. And so there was only certain things he could do. He was going through their VPN. Then I found out his phone was dying too fast. I mean, it was just eating up his battery because it's constantly on this Verizon VPN network. It's like it wasn't using 5G. It wasn't using Wi-Fi. It was going through something else. It was just hmm. eating up his battery. So I finally said, forget that. I'm, I'm turning that off. I know my son. I can inspect his phone. I can trust him to do certain things. I didn't need to have that added layer of protection on there because sometimes a VPN can wreak havoc on what you want to do because depending on what you're doing, there might be content blockers um, where you can't get to certain um, websites. I've run into this with even some of the, the adult filters on a um, phone to block certain adult websites. Won't let me go to the New York Post. <laughs> and it's like, how does that work? <laughs> um, some of my schooling, um, I'm taking getting my master's in communications at SNHU. Some of those sites were blocked by the adult filter. And it's like, why? I don't know. So sometimes it's, it's like the algorithms we were talking about. How is the security service you're using determining what's bad and what's not? Um, so sometimes right, now, it, now I'm getting a tinfoil hat moment uh, because who's writing up those protocols? Right. Um, I was running a virus scan for, um, a computer that came in and I was using their Norton and it said, Oh, you're free and clear. Well, what I was going through was it's a scanning for this virus, scanning for this virus, scanning for this virus. I ran the one that we use, which isn't Norton. It found five viruses because it was looking for viruses. Norton was looking for the specific, specific viruses, viruses and those weren't on there. So everything was fine. 
Jeez. So it's, yeah. It, it all depends on, so at some point, if it becomes too much of a hassle, you're gonna go do away with security altogether because you're not accomplishing what you need to accomplish. So it's a give and take. You have to know what security you're using, know its limitations, and willing to accept some risk if those limitations are interfering with your productivity. So the difference between the phone side and people that are using their phone and the computer side, whether it's uh, uh, so, is it safe to say that laptops basically get lumped more in with your phone rather than a PC? Right. Yeah, because they're more wirelessly connected. Okay. I think where the phone has an added security lapse is text messaging. Um, this is Amazon. Or or texting you to verify a recent purchase you made. Please click here. Yeah. Um, you get your there's there's really no viruses for phones that I know of, but you'll see pop-ups that will say your phone is infected. Please call this number. And again, it's it's about that human aspect. We're gonna trick you into thinking that there's something wrong that you, that only we can fix. Then we're gonna steal your money. Um, I think that's where the edits, the human component that makes phones a little bit more vulnerable. If we're on a computer, we're more attuned to the fact that it might be at risk or there might be a virus. With the phones, it's almost like we don't care or we don't even look. Um, well, and that begs the question is, do we need to have some concern with the phone in the same space or do we need to look at it in a completely different space? I think people just need to treat all electronic devices in their possession as if they are at risk, but don't go overboard in trying to lock yourself off just to protect yourself. If that makes any sense. So ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure yeah. kind of yeah, the, I think, I think that you, old adage. It's like, be secure, be aware of your, where you're at, what you're doing right. within your device. Mm -hmm. But, don't let that dictate your use of the device. Right, because I think a lot of these times when these, these companies that push like these VPN networks that are supposed to be ultra secure to protect you from all the hackers might give you a false sense of security. You're logging into their system and using their encryption services to navigate the web, but it's still incumbent on you as the user to be secure aware of what's going on because what if their servers get hacked? and your information is going through their servers. Um, don't treat like a VPN as sort of like a security blanket where you can just- Forget about everything yeah, else. Yeah, forget everything else. You still need to be aware of what's going on. And I think that that education process is important. So my question is who gets to hack the hackers? Hackers. <laughs> the good guy hackers, the white, hat, the white I, I, hats. The white hats. Well, okay, so there's white hats, black hats. Mm -hmm gray hats. Yeah. What's the difference? Good hackers, bad hackers, and, and those that sometimes are and sometimes... Is you know, there, I really don't know. Is there a good hacker? Well, there are some. You'll see, like, you'll get these alerts sometimes in the news. iOS um, security flaw discovered. And a lot of times that's a hacker trying to see if he can break into the um, operating system of an iPhone, finding a hole, telling Apple about it, waiting for Apple to fix it, and then releasing the information about it. Um, a, that would be, for example, a white hat. Find a problem, tell the people that can fix the problem about it first, then tell the public. 
a black hat hacker would tell the public first and not even bother telling the people that want it because they want to exploit the whole. Right. They want to make money off of mm-hmm. that exploitation. Mm-hmm. So gray area, then the gray hats that they kind of pick and choose or. Probably. I, yeah, there's really is no good guy, bad guy in this situation. Cause ultimately you're trying to break into some sort of secure system. Um, Reminds me of the old movie with Robert Redford and uh, Sidney Poitier, Sneakers. Sneakers. <laughs> um, they, get, they, get, they get paid to break into banks to help the banks not have their money stolen. That was a good movie. And it, it, actually, when I throw that in the world of sci-fi, that's actually one that should be there from old school. Mm-hmm. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 12-7. Technology is our passion. Let's jump back into the conversation with Marlo and Steve. So we're broadcasting today from Marlo's studio, and not the regular radio station studio. And one of the things that's really interesting is Marlo's here and there and over everywhere because he's distracted by toys. One of the cool toys that Marlo got this week is Astro. Um little robot running around uh we're talking with chris uh, van deventer okay i'm gonna back up a little bit give me the backstory of astro because it's kind of a beta test right now mm-hmm. it's not out in public space yeah, yet he, he can't really get it marlo got one and what are some of the things you've seen over the last week with astro running around the building well yeah astro came on friday in a big box and I didn't know what it was. I had heard something about a robot coming to the office. And then I immediately, it was delivered. Then I immediately got a, a slack. Danger from, rule, Robinson. Yeah. Danger. Got a slack from Marlo saying, don't touch my robot. <laughs> so I immediately touched the box and sent him a picture. Um, but we got it set up on Monday. And what it is, is for anybody that's familiar with Doctor Who, uh, the original Doctor Who's from the 70s, there was a, a robot dog in there called K9. If you go go out and Google K9, that's exactly what Astro looks like, the K9 dog from Doctor Who. It's basically an iPad on wheels. Uh, it's got very cool cameras and and it maneuvers like a Roomba, but it's got some intelligence in there, and it can actually do more than just a. No, it's not AI. It's no, it's not. not. An AI it's, it yet. uses um, sensors and more of an Alexa, right? Yeah, it's basically Alexa on wheels. You could call it that because you can run through Alexa through it. Um, it goes in and you first you have to teach it where it lives. And so it follows you around the um, your space um, and you tell it what rooms it's in. And it takes it images like a 3D map of the space it's in to determine where it's at in space. And um, it's pretty, pretty handy. I uh, got it trained a bit on Monday. My joke is, is that we have a little slope out here in our front office and we have a black floor. And one of the two of the things that um, Amazon, who makes Astro, says is that we don't do black floors and we don't do ramps or steps. <laughs> and it's like, and so he gets stuck at this little ramp. And my joke is, is Jeff Bezos can put a man in space, but he can't navigate a ramp. <laughs> um, so hopefully that'll be something that they can um, resolve here. But but this is a kind robot. It's not like a yes. Dalek from Doctor. No, no. Exterminate. 
It, um, <laughs> ideally, what we want to do is we want to have this thing greet our visitors um, that come in. Right now, we have a cowbell on the front door because we can't really see the front office from our where we're working. We have security cameras, so but we're not staring at them all the time. So anytime we hear the cowbell go, we know we somebody's come in. So well, I was nice. telling Marlo. Well, we actually, we used to have a cowbell at the radio station door. Uh, same scenario. It, mm -hmm. it was a little cowbell though. It wasn't a big cowbell. Mm -hmm. And then they put in a doorbell because the the cowbell you could hear it in the studios, which was a good thing, mm -hmm. but not when you're on the radio in the studios. That yeah, you had to explain it then. Um, I, I was telling Marlo it, it'd be kind of cool if you could have it greet you as um, Peter Gabriel from the opening on the song Big Time. I, 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 I always like that that intro. Oh. It's like, hi there. <laughs> or like Max Headroom. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yes. That, it'd be kind of funny if you, because it has a virtual face. It has two eyes right. and it'll blink. And it'll dance, it'll whistle. But ultimately, it, um, it's... I did to, see a dance. That was kind of cool. It, has a periscope that'll go up. It can take video. It's like almost like a, a virtual presence. Marlo machine. said it could go up to six feet tall. Yeah, um, to, to go up periscope yet. and it'll go all the way up and it'll like a virtual presence machine. That episode right. of Big Bang where Sheldon decides she's yeah. going to live forever by not going anywhere. Yep, love that episode. Um, so yeah, it does a little bit of that. Marlo freaked me out just the other day. He Astro was running around. With, a, with his cameras on, and all of a sudden, I think it was you said, "Yeah, that was hi, Chris." <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but it can recognize faces. Uh, it has a bit of a face ID in there, so everybody in the office has introduced itself, and you can say, "Go find Chris, go find Amy, go find Marlo." Um, so, where do you see that technology going from, from an office perspective? Because you guys are planning on using it as a door greeter. Mm -hmm. um, but there's so many other capabilities. Where where are the benefits to an office? I, I think I asked it if it could dust, and it told me how to dust. Yeah, it didn't say it would dust. But uh, what are the other benefits, or where, what are the directions you see technology like this going? Well, one thing this does is um, I I view it as kind of like a ring doorbell on steroids. I mean, obviously, Ring is made by Amazon, and Astro is made by Amazon. This is not a paid plug. We just that's who did it, and unless they want to sponsor the show, that's right. It could be. Um, you can set it to patrol, so it'll basically wander around your space, business space, and check on things. So you, instead of having fixed cameras everywhere, you're you like you have a robot going around, and so MacGyver has to figure out a way to get around the robot instead of <laughs> blocking out a specific static camera. Um, that's one use case. We're a pretty small office, so we can just sh shout across the room. But I can see another one too, is like Astro take this to Marlo. So he has a little cubby in the back. You can put what Marlo needs. Well, he told me about the dog treats, which my dogs would totally roll Astro for the mm -hmm. treats. But well, right now he's, um, it has a cup holder. You can, send, you can send drinks, go to the kitchen, give me a beer. And somebody puts a beer in there and bring it back. Um, right Should've now, named him Matt, Alex. Yeah. Right now, he's giving Grogu a ride. My little stuffed baby Yoda is sort of driving Astro and going along for a ride in the office. So, so through uh, be, because Astro does learn. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be a Mandalorian fan now, or I don't know, baby. Um, he has figured out how to get up um, one of our ramps. 
by going at it sideways and kind of backing up and adjusting. Um, trying to get him all the way down the hall is a problem because of the black floor. But he seems to do okay out in our front area where our um, shirts and calendars are kept. You know, one of the things, too, is you've got in the, the front lobby uh, some TVs set up that are you know, one of the ones I always get fascinated with. I get sucked into it every time is different hacks. Mm-hmm. And, and I saw Astro watching watching the TV yeah, screen. Yeah, for some reason, he goes out in that room, and then he'll invariably will stop looking at that particular TV, watching the five-minute hacks or five-minute crafts, and I came out and I saw him, I was like, oh my God, he's becoming self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mini Martha Stewart. Yeah. Uh, so, the reason I ask is, is I'm trying to figure out the technology, is, is it motion activated? Is it, you know, how does it respond to, I mean, voice activated, of course, mm-hmm. but apparently it's fascinated by what movement, because, and I'm, I'm putting it in terms of my dogs, because mm-hmm. I've, I've got one dog that actively watches TV, mm-hmm. and it, it's not necessarily the movement, they're watching TV. Yeah. Um, Motion is a part is, of it. Is that how it engages? Yeah, because when I was taking it around... Because I'm thinking the security side, too. So if somebody's breaking in, it's not necessarily a loud crash, but it would pick up on movement mm-hmm. in the dark, right? Right. When I first was... Because you could set it, and it just kind of explores. And then it sort of learns the space you're in. And then it says, okay, I'm going to follow you around as you show me where everything's at. And it'll say, you're going too fast, um, catching up, I'm on my way, little words will pop up on the screen. I'd say the same things. Um, the other day... Um, Except with me, you'd have to have to show me more than once, probably. Right. Astro, it's just one and done. Um, Marlo's the one that set it up, and I wasn't even in the system yet, but I was the one taking it around, and it was responding to my voice pretty well, even though I hadn't trained it that way. And it was recognizing me, but it thought I was Marlo. It came up to me the other day and it said, I missed you, Marlo. <laughs> so it's so they'll find you and it'll say, I found Chris or I found Marlo and Yay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so from now the way Marlo explained this to me, it's kind of a beta. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see this going with because I at some point I I'm pretty confident that there's going to be an AI component that's integrated with this because mm-hmm. um, I kind of think of I, th- there's two schools of thought either the robots the platform or the AI is the platform I tend to think of things as okay the robots a platform AI is the payload right um, th- Marlo thinks of it in different terms uh, mm-hmm. the other way around and. Maybe it's just my human constraint. That's the way I look at it. When you start integrating AI, where the magic's going to happen is where the the crossroads between AI and robotics meet. Mm-hmm. That that's going to be game changing, right? I think with the AI, what the AI component of this could be is that right now I have to lead it around the building and tell it what rooms it's what room it's in. With an AI, perhaps, if you're doing this in a home setting or an office setting, it would be able to determine that, okay, I'm in the hallway. Okay, this is an office. This is office number two. Um, there's a bed in here. This must be a bedroom. 
there's a fridge in here. This must be the kitchen. I think that it could start training itself that way as far as what's in your space. So it'll start calling you, come to the kitchen. Yeah. It's, cause, well, because well, I noticed you guys were like, hey, come to the lunchroom. Come to mm-hmm. Chris's office. You guys were calling it around, and it's learning to go there. Mm-hmm. But with the AI, it's like, come to the kitchen, and you come running. Right. Um, and because right now... Um, Wherever it was sitting when you told it, I was room making it was your in. margarita and the blender blew up. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what, wherever it was sitting when you told it what room it's in, that's the exact spot it goes back to. Really? Yeah. When that's interesting. You say go to Chris's desk, and it's like okay, it'll stop right about five feet from me. Um. So yeah, I think that's it's one thing, interesting thing about it. How do you override that learning? Is, is say you can you, go. You, at, you taught it something inaccurate or you want to upgrade something. Mm-hmm. According to what Astro tells me is that if I want to make any changes, I need to go onto the Astro app on my phone and modify room names or delete rooms or recreate the map or delete it entirely. Um, so there's a way to reset it and delete because it just generated a 3D map of its environment that it stores and that's what it uses to navigate. So with AI, that. you would just Tell it to learn a, learn a new map. Learn a new map. Mm-hmm. Or with the, um, rather than take this to Marlowe and you have to put it in the, in the bin, um, if there's any appendages or something, you say, go take this VHS tape to Marlowe or go take this USB drive to Marlowe. Um, I could see that being more of a use case in a larger office. See, I'm thinking with AI, it's like, okay, go get the ingredients out of the shelf mm-hmm. and make a margarita and bring that to Marlo. Yeah. I, I'd be in on that. Mm-hmm. See, now he dances. So you could put a, you could put like a, like a shaker in the back <laughs> and then he dances. <laughs> yeah. So do some sort of Rube Goldberg machine where you have the sour and the tequila and everything just sit on the shelf and it just bumps into the shelf and everything falls over. And Perfect. I love it. I'll get working on that. <laughs> my wife was. There's was, an app for that, right? Right. I was telling my wife that we got this thing and she, she's always worried. It's like, well, are they ever going to run out of stuff for you to do, Chris? And it's like, well, no, I got a lot of stuff there. You know, I do a lot of this, but they bought a robot to greet everybody. What's your job? I said, well, I teach the robot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Marlo and I talk about that all the time is, um, the jobs that are going to be displaced by AI. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this already with robotics, but then the jobs that are created mm-hmm. because of that space. And, and Marlo threw out a stat to me the other day, um, like 80 million jobs would be displaced because of AI. And, but they're expecting 90 million to be created. Now that doesn't sound like very much or the number just it has no meaning until you go 80 million that's the current workforce right you're whoa (laughs) you know and i look at it from the perspective of you know the writer strike that's going on right now right and everyone's like well ai is going to kill writers and it's like being on strike is going to kill writers but yeah but so i think look at that and it's like okay we're a small office i run national day radio which is our radio station and there are Four main things I do with that. I maintain the playlist of music. I come up with interesting content for the radio, st- for the d- different national days. But to do that, I have to record it and write it. 
So there's a lot that goes into your day and a lot that goes into having an assistant in the AI space. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. Let's get back to discovering the latest in technology with the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. So one of the extensions of the Tech Ranch and National Day Calendar, nationaldaycalendar.com, by the way, um, National Day Radio. It, it, it's another little piece that kind of in the beta testing mode right now. We're talking with Chris Van Deventer. Um, who runs National Day Radio for Marlowe. And and uh, I got to listen to National Day Radio on a road trip with Marlowe. I'm like, this is really cool. They, you know, a little based off of the calendar premise. Um, explain to listeners out there what National Day Radio is. I guess in a nutshell, National Day Radio is the musical version of our calendar. Um, and it's, it plays, you know, your top 50, your top 10 songs, new songs, old songs. I've got stuff from the fifties. I've got, I liked it because it's eclectic. Yes. It's everywhere. And one reason why it's good that it's everywhere is the songs. Oh, it's obviously still a beta test. We have about 20,000 listeners a month. Uh, bulk of those from the U S um, UK and Canada and We're not quite at the point of having it matched to every single day that's out there, but I have enough content out there right now where we can sort of say, okay, it's donut day. So you're going to hear a lot from Homer Simpson today. Yes. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, it's National Banana Day. You're going to hear the Banana Boat song. Right. Banana Pancakes by Jack Johnson. I mean... <laughs> That's where I come in is I am a walking Wikipedia of music. You give me a word, I can tell you a song. My wife hates it. She'll say something just in a regular conversation and I'll just break out into song. She's like, oh, great, you did that. Um, so like on National Limerick Day, um, I had a song called Limerick is a Lady by some Irish dude. <laughs> I, I just I found it. And it's like, I got, I got a terabyte of songs to go through. And I just find these songs that are tied to the national day. Uh, we've partnered with a YouTuber named Mrs. Erickson. Uh, she's out of Colorado and she started doing these national day videos during the pandemic for her students just to provide an interesting educational piece. And so, She's let us use her content. So every morning we have a little two to three minute piece from her about what national day it is, followed by a song tied to the national day. That's what we want the radio to be. We want to build off of that. So sometimes I'll come up with kind of interactive at that. Point yeah. Then. And so on national dress day, I did a, a segment that played snippets of 10 Madonna songs or, um, what was, or I have a playlist of ukulele songs. Play your ukulele day was back in March. So I did 10 songs back to back where the ukulele was the primary Tiny instrument. Tiny bubbles. That actually wasn't one of them. It's one of my favorite songs. But yeah, we, we had uh, Summer of the Rainbow by um, Israel Kamehameha. I mean, <laughs> ooh, yeah. So that's kind of what we do. And ultimately, we'd like to sort of be able to say all the songs are tied to the National Day in some way. But that gets to be a little difficult because 
I can throw Sweet Georgia Brown out um, on the radio, but you're not going to know that's the Harlem Globetrotters theme song unless I tell you. Oh, I knew that. Yeah. But you get that. So you suddenly it's starting to, or suddenly, why am I hearing Kermit the Frog sing? Well, because it's National Rainbow Day. <laughs> it's like, you got to tell them what the connection is. And that's where some of these other um, pieces come in where I pull out, Marlo does a daily podcast of the various days. So I've gone back through the archives and I've taken his recordings since tw from 2020 and on and I snippet those out and I manipulate them to make them into just their own little radio ads. And then those get played th th sporadically throughout the day on the day that they exist. Um, creating new content has been a really big struggle because he only does two days in these podcasts. So sometimes I have six versions of the same day, just different stories. So that's where AI has come in is that we have uh, the AI. I'll say, okay, here is an article about, well, we're announcing International VW Bus Day next June 2nd. I the, heard that. That's kind of exciting. Yeah. Because it's kind of a, 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 it's a cool niche. Yeah. So VW Bus, big thing, big splash on June 2nd. Well. In conjunction to a big splash that VW is doing as well. Absolutely. Just a tease there. I wanted we'll to. Just leave it there. Well, what do I write about this? It's like, okay, we have an article. We wrote an article for the day. So I just basically said, okay, VW. Not VW, to, to the AI. It's like, here's our article. Give me something fun about the VW bus and reference hippie culture, subculture, iconic. And it wrote me about five paragraphs of stuff. And then I can whittle that down and make it into something that I can record for the radio. Um, but I don't always have time to write it, even if I have the AI do it, and record it in the studio. Because I also have to manage the playlists and then I do the video conversions and the other thing here in the office. So we also have a AI voiceover that we use. Um, I've trained it to understand my voice. And so I can basically take what I get off the AI, plug it into the voiceover, have it record as me, and I can put out in seconds something that would have taken me a day previously to record, edit, and write. So it's like, if we have a brand new day coming out, it's like, oh, I gotta do something for this tomorrow. Boom, boom, boom. It's out in 30 seconds. So tie it into the calendar. Uh, how often do you get brand new days that pop up? Because now it's, it's at the point where there's been a good base of saturation. Mm -hmm. And now it's at the point where you can be a little choosy yeah. well, we and, got to and choose your days carefully. We get about 30,000 requests a year. And um, out of those, we do anywhere from 25 to 30. And um, some of them are about iconic brands. Um, last year we did Gummy Bear Day in association with Haribo. Um, this year we did Sunkiss Citrus Day with the Sunkiss Growers. Uh, Sugar Bee Apple Day with the Sugar Bee Apple Company. Um, obviously VW Bus Day. Um, but then there's other ones. Um, next Saturday is National Grape Day. That's a new one. Nobody paid for it, nobody created it. Um, we noticed that there was a great popsicle day, but there wasn't a national grape day. Grape day. So we decided, well, we're going to make national grape day, which is a good day because now you can drink wine and eat raisins. That's right. Yes. So it, it, 
there are outside of our calendar, there are days that are out there. It's just what is something that's going to evoke that feeling of celebration, that significance, um, whether it's something like the federal holiday of Juneteenth, which is new and related to a significant part of American history, or is it something fun like Grape Day? What constitutes a, a day to qualify? Um, you know, I'm not on the committee that handles those, but generally it has to be something that is going to be like a no-brainer to celebrate. Is it something that is iconic, like, let's say, the VW bus? Is it something that people tend to gravitate toward? Food days are always good, but there are only so many pie days you can have. Oh, no, you can have a pie day every you day. You can't have a pie day every you day. You can have a pie day every day because you can have pecan. Mm-hmm. And we do have those days. Yeah, banana cream. I, I, I'm a big fan of all of those. So, uh, Chris, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on uh, the Tech Ranch. I'm Steve Bakken. Marlo, back next week. And that's a wrap on another fantastic episode of the Tech Ranch. Remember, if you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. This is Outdoor Issues.